In our darkest hour, in my deepest despair, will you still care? Will you be there? In my trials and my tribulations, through our doubts and frustrations, in my violence, in my turbulence, through my fear and my confessions, in my anguish and my pain, through my joy and my sorrow, in the promise of another tomorrow. I'll never let you part, for you're always in my heart. This one's for you, Dad. Welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow, a podcast bringing you information and inspiration from people in all walks of life. This is the Father's Day Special. Hey everyone, welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow's Father's Day Special. In this episode, we'll be talking all things dad, and I'm thrilled to have my first guest, Bo Coffrin. Bo is known as the Lunchbox Dad. He's a married father of three from the Oklahoma City area who helps to make lunchtime fun by making creative recipes that he shares on his website and social media. And he also likes to share his thoughts on parenting and life in general on his platforms. He's appeared in various media outlets and on television shows like Good Morning America and The Steve Harvey Show. He's also taught classes on healthy and fun eating at Whole Foods Market. So welcome to the show, Bo. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks so much for having me, Erin. Of course. So I just wanted to start with where you began in life. You live in the Oklahoma City area now. Is that where you're from originally, and what was life like for you as a child? Yeah, so I'm originally from the West Coast. I was born in in Washington State and lived there for a few years and uh, then moved uh, down to Northern California, which is where I grew up and uh, where I went to college and met my wife and uh, and where we kind of started out our family in the Bay Area there. And yeah, so um, I didn't grow up with any art class background or food or nutrition or chef background or anything like that. And so it was a, it was a pretty normal childhood, but I uh, just grew up having fun there in Northern California. Awesome. And did you always know that you wanted to be a dad? Yeah, I think so. I grew up um, with a number of brothers and sisters, and I always knew uh, that I wanted to be a dad. And when my wife and I were dating, we talked about starting a family. And so, yeah, we didn't have any set number of kids that we wanted to have, but um, ended up having a daughter who's now a teenager. She's almost 16. And then a son who is 12 years old and another son who is eight. Great. So you have a Party of five there (laughs) all together. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Were you always interested in food? I mean, this is your platform now. Is that something you were interested in since you were a kid or was there a certain age where you decided to pursue that? Yeah, I really, uh, I mean, I I think I was just as interested as as anyone else until my daughter started kindergarten and that's really where my blog started. And so before that, I was just looking for a way to show my daughter that I loved her and I was thinking about her when she was starting school. And so I saw some moms making fun, like character themed lunches and posting it online. And I thought, hey, I'm a dad. Why can't I do that? I don't see any other dads doing it, but I'll give it a shot. It looks like fun. And so I made her a Hello Kitty lunch for her first Monday of school of kindergarten. And she loved it. And I enjoyed doing it. And uh, and it really uh, was something that we love talking about. And so 
we kept doing it once a week. Usually every Monday, she would get a fun special character themed lunch. And then I just started my blog to keep a record of what we were doing and put the recipes up there and started getting a lot of great feedback about it. And so I kept doing it as hopefully an encouragement to other parents. And then my social media channels started soon after that. Sounds like a crazy, like just unexpected journey for you. Absolutely. I had no idea uh, where it would lead or what would happen. It was just really at its core. It was just, I want, I was a dad wanting to connect with my daughter. Oh, I love that. And you make some awesome lunches. (laughs) We'll get into that in a second. But when did you first become a dad? How old were you? And and what was that change like for you? Um, That's a great question. So my daughter is almost 16 now and I'm 44. So I was about 28. Had to do the math in my head there really quick. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, my wife and I had been married for about uh, four or five years um, before we started having kids. And we just wanted to to spend time uh, together and just kind of starting our life out. And then and then we were blessed to to have a daughter. And so it was, uh, you know, like any first time parent, that's like a quick switch where you just all of a sudden realize how much you don't know. (laughs) And but you learn learn on the go. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. And every stage of life brings something different. You know, just when you think you have your kids figured out, they become a teenager or get a little bit older or get into a new stage. And, and, uh, and then they surprise you and, and you realize uh, you need to learn this parenting thing all over again. Exactly. I'm not a parent myself, but I've heard that from so many people. So it's, it's definitely a learning process. And I think some parents, you know, feel like they should have it figured out right away, but that's not the case at all. It's just, I don't know that you ever have it figured out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're always changing and you just do the best you can. So when you started making these lunches, did you inspire friends around you, other dads? Were you kind of like a loner for a while? I know you're inspiring tons of people now, but was that inspiration kind of off the bat? Did it keep you motivated to keep going on your own until it kind of blew up? Yeah, it was really, I mean, more about um, my daughter and, and stuff like that. And then I got good feedback from the teacher and uh, she would like take pictures of the lunches at uh, lunchtime um, just to have for herself because she loved it. And so that was pretty fun. And I would get feedback from parents every once in a while, like at school, like, oh, you're that dad uh, sort of thing. Um, but some of them, you know, they would they would come and be like, well, um, you know, I don't have time to, to do what you do or I, I don't really want to. But, uh, you know, I would love some just a couple little creative ideas. And so that's what I kind of try and do um, with my blog and social media. Um, you know, over the last number of years, it's been almost 10 years now since I started it. And uh, and hopefully along the way, it's just encouraging a lot of parents, especially online about just like, here's some little tips and tricks to make lunchtime easier to make lunchtime fun and, and just be able to connect with your kids. And sometimes it just starts with a simple lunch note. So I write all my kids a lunch note uh, with their special lunches every week. And that's something that I've done since the beginning. I don't put that on my blog or social media normally, because that's kind of a more personal thing between me and them. But it, it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be really simple. And it's fun to see when parents copy my recipes or copy my ideas, because I do, I do like family friendly recipes and stuff too, besides uh, food art. And so it's great when they tag me online and I can see, hey, this is helping at least one other family out there. Yeah, definitely. That's always the greatest part I think about putting yourself out there is your the inspiration. You said that you created Lunchbox Dad and just started creating these creative, cute little lunches uh, to have a bond with your kids. Is there one specific situation that set it off? I know you talked about it a little bit 
earlier, but is there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah. So I mentioned the Hello Kitty lunch. And then during that first year also, that's when Frozen came out. And uh, and I remember my daughter was super into Frozen. And so I made her an Elsa and Olaf lunch. And so I remember she told me that night that uh, when she opened, because her friends had kind of gotten into the habit of like crowding around her lunchbox in the cafeteria when she opened it, because it's always a surprise for them when they open it. And then seeing the Frozen lunch and then the whole cafeteria singing Let It Go, which is obviously the big song of the time from the movie. And uh, and so I thought that was really fun. And, uh, and so I think one of my favorite lunches, though, that I, I've made for them, and I've kind of tweaked it over the years, but it was we're really into Star Wars. Um, we're a huge uh, Star Wars family. And so I made a Chewbacca sandwich uh, with banana <laughs> tie fighters. And so that's one of my personal favorites. That's awesome. <laughs> so creative. So how did Lunchbox Dad grow since its inception? And what are some of the opportunities you've had to reach out to others since creating it? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I, it started with just the blog. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I didn't know about uh, creating a website. I didn't know about social media. I didn't know about photography. I didn't know how to uh, create videos or lighting or sound or any of that. So I kind of like learned on the fly over the last number of years. And uh, and so hopefully it's improved <laughs> since then um, as far as like quality and things like that and how helpful it is. And, uh, and so it, it's grown that way it's really cool. Like there's every once in a while, there's a recipe that goes viral. And so like on Buzzfeed and things like that. And so that's been fun over the years to help it grow. And then I've done some TV shows, which have been uh, pretty great. And, uh, and so that first year I started off, uh, I did a, my first TV show I did with my daughter, which I'll always remember. It was, it was a lot of fun because we, it was a, like a regional, like morning news show there in Sacramento. And, uh, and it was just uh, so cool to be on there with her and just showing just the lunches that we were making together and things like that. And that was pretty early on. So um, that was fun. And then, you know, I've had so many opportunities over the years to work with different brands, which has helped, you know, me be able to travel different places that I never would have. Like there was a, a couple years ago, I went to Australia on a media tour and got to teach um, a bunch of uh, reporters. We did a class on making some fun lunches and, and did a tour all over around the Sydney area. So that was something I'll never forget. Um, and then just like speaking, I've, I've been able to um, develop a platform that way, going and speaking at different conferences. My wife and I got to do go to one uh, for bloggers uh, a number of years ago in the Caribbean. So that was cool. And so it's just opened up a lot of opportunities for our family. And so I like to try and when I have these opportunities, involve my family as much as possible, because really the blog and the social media is all about family. And so when I get approached with different opportunities, I try and um, make sure that it's going to involve them as well. Um, yeah, we got to go to, as a family, um, with one brand, got to go to Disney World. And so that, that was pretty amazing. That was like a trip of a lifetime for us. Nice. And, uh, and so lots of different places and, and, and things like that. Oh, great. I know you mentioned the Chewbacca lunch, but is there any other lunch you want to mention that you loved making? And where does that inspiration even come from? Yeah, so the inspiration for my lunches uh, comes from really what my kids are into. 
at the time. So that could be TV shows, movies, books that they're reading, anything like that. And so I try, and which helps spur on more conversations with them because sometimes they'll give requests, but sometimes I'll just be like asking, hey, what are you reading over here? Or they'll want to watch a TV show or movie together. And that kind of spurs on inspiration. Like, oh, I can do that. Or I can do that in a lunch or recipes, which is super fun. And so there's there's the characters that I always come back to time and again that are kind of timeless. Like, Minions are always a really fun one to do or anything with Disney, like um, because we're a huge Disney family as well. And I already mentioned Star Wars um, more recently. Um, I think one of my favorite ones that I've done is uh, for Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And so I did a Sonic lunch, uh, which was which was really fun to make for them. Great. And for those who don't know and haven't checked out your site yet, which they definitely will after they listen to this, can you explain a little bit how you create these characters in the lunches do you use like cookie cutters is that what you're using a lot of the time or yeah so sometimes i'll use cookie cutters sometimes it'll be freehand so it kind of all depends on what i'm making like full disclosure there are certain shapes that i am terrible at and so (laughs) uh like stars and hearts i cannot cut to save my life so i have a lot of star and uh, heart cookie cutters um i have some circle ones that just help make things easy um, but a lot of times I'm doing freehand, like the Sonic lunch I mentioned, I, I cut that out freehand. And so a lot of what I use is um, I, I'll make a sandwich in the main compartment. And uh, and then, you know, just I try and use basic ingredients for the most part that my kids will like. Because one of the questions that I get a lot of times, is, hey, do your kids really take us to school and eat, eat it? And I'm like, yeah, this is like their lunch for the day. And so, yes, they absolutely do. And so I want to make sure that they're going to eat it. But also we try and introduce like fresh fruits and vegetables um, or dried fruits and vegetables to them too. And so sometimes they have their favorites, which I put in, but sometimes I just want to um, introduce something new to try, have them try it. Sometimes they hate it. Sometimes they love it. And so it's a, it's a really fun way to be able to introduce them to that. And when you cut it into fun shapes, Um, but then once they know that they like it, they can eat it on a regular basis. And so we've seen that happen quite a bit, but yeah, so then usually there's about two side dishes that I do that hopefully correspond to, uh, the theme as well and kind of put it all together. And I either show it on my blog or social media. Um, some of them have video tutorials. Um, some of them are just pictures and and written out text, uh, recipes. Great. And I feel like you'd be good at arts and crafts by doing this stuff. Is that something you're good at as well? Um, you know, I'm not, I, I think I'm average, okay. <laughs> it, but I've learned, uh, but I've learned along the way, uh, just some tips and tricks for making a uh, life easier in, in making, uh, character themed lunches. And so, um, I try and share that on social media, my blog as well. So like, I, I, I don't keep any secrets. If it helps, uh, if it helps parents connect with their kids, I'm happy to share whatever I learned. That's awesome. All right. So getting back to just general fatherhood, can you think of one of the proudest moments you've had as a dad? Oh man, there's, there's so many. I don't know about any, like I, off the top of my head, I can't think of a, a, a specific one, but I know that like as a dad, um, especially whenever I see my kids really just be kind to others and kind to their friends and stand up for their friends is really where I'm the most proud. And so because we're always talking to them about um, being there for others, being kind, looking out for those that need friends at school, or just in general, and, and making good choices that way. So whenever they're, they're showing that love to others, that's, you know, when I'm most proud. 
Okay, so since, you know, your whole career, not even your whole career, because you also have a full-time job, right? On the, Do you still have a full-time mm-hmm. job? Yeah. You just, you know, what you're known for is just revolved around you being a dad. What was your relationship like with your own dad? And how did that influence you and the way you're a dad? Yeah, so my relationship with my own dad was pretty up and down a, a lot of my life. And so he, uh, my mom and my dad got a divorce when I was 12. And so my dad and I kind of had a rocky relationship through my teenage years. And so then in my 20s, um, we really kind of started reconnecting and getting closer. And then especially when kids came along and things like that. And then actually right before I started my blog, right before my daughter was starting kindergarten, um, my dad um, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so there was about a two-month period there from the time that he was diagnosed to when he passed away, where he was going to a lot of doctor's appointments and things like that. And and, uh, we were with him all the time and uh, trying to help him and my stepmom through that. And so I guess how that influenced me is I realized at the end, just like what my dad meant to me and just how far our relationship had come from being like kind of this rocky thing through the teenage years and divorce and things to where it was when he passed away. And so I really wanted my kids to really be able to experience what my dad and I did at the end. And so hopefully um, for them, they uh, will always know that I love them and I care about them and I'm here for them. That makes sense. I'm so sorry about your dad. That's kind of a segue into my next question, ironically. Your website, you know, your blog brings a lot of joy to a lot of dads, I'm sure, and just people in general. And I'm sure that can help in times of grief and struggle. I lost my dad when I was 10, um, and that's affected who I am today. And I know there's a lot of people like that out there. There's also a lot of people who have estranged relationships with their dads. So do you have any advice you'd give just to people in those situations that can maybe help them a little bit to get through life? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's situation is different, especially with relationships with dads. I think the thing that's hard as a kid, when I was thinking back about my relationship with my dad, is you kind of think that your parents have it all together, and they know everything. And then when they let you down, it's like this big blow. But then having become a parent, you just realize you're doing the best that you can. And so um, having just grace and forgiveness, I think is huge uh, with, with parents and kids. And the thing is, too, is that just because you might not have a parent that is in your life active, um, there's a lot of people that I feel like if, if you really look around, that can be like parents. They they will never fill that actual void. But there are so many people in my life that are like parents to me. And there's a few special families that are like parents and grandparents, even though we're not biologically related, they're like parents and grandparents to my kids. And I love that. And and it takes so many people to raise kids well. And so I think just looking um, for the blessings that you have in your life for those people that are around you, if you don't have uh, your biological parents in your life, or maybe that's a really strange, uh, strained relationship that you can pour into those other relationships or those people that are like parents to you. This is my last question. What advice would you give to just new dads who are kind of scared about this new fatherhood journey to someone either who hasn't, the child hasn't been born yet, or they have just been born and they're kind of like, whoa, look at this journey ahead of me. Yeah. um, I think that for new dads, any dads, but new dads specifically, just realizing you're not alone 
and that there's a whole community of dads out there. And I just think now, just like all the resources available to dads, both online and offline and parenting groups, don't be afraid to join those. And because I have so many amazing dad friends that I've met just through social media and online that I ended up meeting in person as well. And we've had a relationship for years. And there's lots of different resources and parenting groups in a ton of different areas of the United States. Um, And just that can be so helpful in just being able to share kind of your struggles and your wins and your challenges and your joys and uh, and realize there's people that are um, dads specifically that are going through the exact same thing as you are and being able to be there for each other. Sometimes there's not a lot of great advice meeting there um, every week, like that's practical, but just knowing that you have this other, maybe few other people who know exactly what you're going through, that's what you need. And, and, and so I would just say, don't be afraid to reach out and, uh, and start joining some of those groups because they can be super important. Okay. Thank you for that. And where can people find you? Like, what do you want to give them? Your website, social media, where can they uh, check out your food blog and all of that? Yeah. So they can go to lunchboxdad.com is my website. And on every social media, I'm at lunchboxdad. Easy enough. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So I want to wish you a very happy Father's Day, Bo. Do you have any plans this year for anything fun? Thanks so much uh, for that. I, you know, it's that that's up to my wife. Usually, we do stuff low key for Father's Day and just try and have fun. My extended family is actually all here in Oklahoma now, and um, for the most part, not not everyone, but a lot of families moved out here last summer, and so um, we are going to be doing a family dinner together. Oh, that's so nice. Family dinners are always great, and and it's great for you. You know, you're you're <laughs> you're gonna make the dinner. Do you make dinner too? <laughs> Uh, yeah, sometimes uh, I do. I don't think that I'm making this one, though. Okay, so you get a break. <laughs> I do. I get the night off. <laughs> you deserve it. I want to thank you so much for being here. It was so fun talking to you and getting to know you and just more about how you came up with such a great blog and, and all of that that helped dads. And I encourage all dads and just all parents, anyone, to check out your blog. There's really cool pictures on your Instagram. I love it. <laughs> I was, like, browsing all week. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on, Aaron. It was uh, it was great to be here. And if any dads want to reach out to me, um, send me a DM or a private message or an email from my website, and I'd, have, I'd be happy to um, connect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bo. Um, I hope you have a great Father's Day. I'm so excited to welcome my next guest, who happens to be my brother, Tom. He's my older brother, and I asked him to be on the episode because he is also a father. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Tom. No problem. It's a pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to talk to Tom about his experience with being a father. But before we get into that, I thought it would be fun to go into some interesting father facts and touch on the history of Father's Day. So let's talk about the history of Father's Day first. So this is from history.com. Basically says the nation's first Father's Day was celebrated on June 19th. 1910 in the state of Washington. However, it wasn't until 1972 that the day honoring fathers became a nationwide holiday in the United States, and it was inspired by Mother's Day. Mother's Day did not become a commercial holiday until 1908, when a woman named Anna Jarvis, who wanted to honor her own mother by making Mother's Day a national holiday, made it that way. She basically started a movement that led to Mother's Day. So thanks in large part to this association with retailers who saw great potential for profit in this holiday, 
Mother's Day caught on right away. In 1909, 45 states observed the day, and in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson approved a resolution that made the second Sunday in May a holiday in honor of, quote-unquote, that tender, gentle army, the Mothers of America. So all the success of Mother's Day brought on the campaign for Father's Day. The campaign to celebrate the nation's fathers did not meet with the same enthusiasm, however, perhaps because as one florist explained, quote-unquote, fathers haven't the same sentimental appeal that mothers have. So on July 5th, 1908, a West Virginia church sponsored the nation's first event explicitly in honor of fathers, a Sunday sermon in memory of the 362 men who had died in the previous December's explosions at the Fairmount Coal Company mines in Monaga. But it was a one-time commemoration and not an annual holiday. The next year, a Spokane, Washington woman named Sonora Smart Dodd, who was one of six children raised by a widower, tried to establish an official equivalent to Mother's Day for male parents. She went to local churches, the YMCA, shopkeepers, and government officials to drum up support for her idea, and she was successful. Washington State celebrated the nation's first statewide Father's Day on June 19, 1910. So slowly the holiday spread, and in 1916, President Wilson honored the day by using telegraph signals to unfurl a flag in Spokane when he pressed a button in Washington, D.C. In 1924, President Calvin Coolidge urged state governments to observe Father's Day. Today, the day honoring fathers is celebrated in the United States on the third Sunday of June. This year, it's June 19th. In other countries, especially in Europe and Latin America, fathers are honored on St. Joseph's Day, which is a traditional Catholic holiday that falls on March 19th. So, of course, not every country celebrates Father's Day on the third Sunday of June like the U.S. does. So here's a tidbit about Father's Day and the controversy with commercialism. Now, many men continued to disdain Father's Day, even though it was passed. And as one historian writes, they, quote unquote, scoffed at the holiday's sentimental attempts to domesticate manliness with flowers and gift giving, or they derided the proliferation of such holidays as a commercial gimmick to sell more products, often paid for by the father himself. (laughs) So during the 1920s and 1930s, a movement arose to scrap Mother's Day and Father's Day altogether in favor of a single holiday, Parents' Day. Every year on Mother's Day, pro-Parents' Day groups rallied in New York City's Central Park. A public reminder, said Parents' Day activist and radio performer Robert Spear, that both parents should be loved and respected together. That actually makes sense, that both parents should be recognized. So you agree there shouldn't be separate holidays? Yeah, it actually sounds like a good idea. Yeah. The Great Depression derailed this effort to combine and decommercialize the holidays. So, struggling retailers and advertisers redoubled their efforts to make Father's Day a second Christmas for men, uh, promoting goods such as neckties, hats, socks, pipes and tobacco, golf clubs, and other sporting goods, and greeting cards. When World War II began, advertisers began to argue that celebrating Father's Day was a way to honor American troops and support the war effort. By the end of the war, Father's Day may not have been a federal holiday, but it was a national institution. And finally, in 1972, in the middle of a hard-fought presidential re-election campaign, Richard Nixon signed a proclamation making Father's Day a federal holiday at last. So all that back and forth, back and forth in 1972, it finally became that federal holiday. Today, economists 
estimate that Americans spend more than $1 billion each year on Father's Day gifts. That's crazy. That's a lot. <laughs> okay. okay. Next, we have some interesting facts about fathers. And these facts come from Emory University and various sources such as Bustle and others. So number one, fathers can get postpartum depression. Postpartum depression is well known as a potential complication for new mothers after childbirth, but fathers are also susceptible. The rate of depression for new fathers is about twice that of the general population of men, Emory University says. The school said it may have to do with sleep deprivation and hormonal changes following the birth of a baby, but it also may be due to changes in their relationship with their partner. Many new fathers report that a lot of their partner's affection and attention is displaced from them to the new infant. And we talked about that on the Mother's Day episode, actually, so that's interesting. New fathers also often feel a new weight of financial responsibility. So just like many moms, dads often experience a work parental conflict. Number two, we're actually more like our dads when it comes to genetics. So a study done at the University of North Carolina showed that mammals are more like their fathers as far as genetic makeup is concerned. Even though we get the same amount of genetic mutations from our parents, we actually use more of the DNA we get from our dads. So knowing this information can help with studying diseases and how the severity can be different depending if it's passed down from the mother or the father. Number three, fathers who do more chores tend to have daughters with higher aspirations. In a 2014 study published in Psychological Science, it was found that parents' domestic actions spoke louder than words. As in, even though a father preached all things feminism, if he left all the household duties to his wife, as traditional families tend to do, daughters will remember that and tend to envision themselves in traditionally female-dominant jobs. Researchers looked at 326 children aged 7 to 13 years old and at least one of their involved parents. It was found that fathers who were found to help with household chores had daughters who aspired for less traditional and higher paying careers. So do as John Mayer says, fathers be good to your daughters and wash a dish or two. <laughs> Number four, supposed deadbeat dads are not always what they seem. So sometimes things between a mother and a father don't work out. Sometimes both parents share the responsibilities of raising the kids even though they're separated. Sometimes it's just solely the mother or the father, but nobody thinks it's cool for a guy to abandon all responsibilities of being a father. In fact, as Time reports in 2011, only 61% of child support payments were made by men to mothers of their children. But a recent study published in the Journal of Marriage and Family took a look at 367 lower-income fathers and found that fathers who don't pay for child support in cash contribute to their children's lives in a different way. Now that I agree with. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, people don't think about this. This brings up a good point. They automatically think Debbie Dad's money, but this does say uh, that more is involved here. Almost half of the fathers in the study provided their children with baby products, clothes, school expenses, and food. Absolutely. With my children, I've provided way more than what my child support was. So that I totally agree with. I know a lot of other fathers who provide a lot more than what they're paying. Yeah. They yeah. really should look into that. I, I think the child support wants to be changed, honestly. But that's another subject. Yeah, because you have experience with that. And you know firsthand. And we'll get more into that later. But all right. Researchers found that those fathers contribute around $60 a month per child, which doesn't show up on statistics. 
They believe that dads prefer to give their kids stuff rather than hand over cash to moms because the fathers get more recognition from their children. Yeah, see, that that right there is crazy. $60 a month. Oh, my God. I would probably live in a multi-million dollar mansion right now if that was the case. <laughs> All right. Number five. The invention of the double bubbler drinking fountain had a direct connection to a father's impact on his son. In 1896, a man named Halsey W. Taylor lost his father to typhoid fever caused by contaminated water. Years later, as a plant superintendent for the Packard Motor Car Company, Taylor noticed dysentery, uh, which is infection of the intestines, spreading quickly through the workers. And again, he suspected the drinking water. These personal experiences inspired Halsey W. Taylor to dedicate his life to providing a safe drink of water in public places. In 1912, he developed the Puritan Sanitary Fountain and began producing it at the original manufacturing site in Warren, Ohio. Here you go. So next time you drink from a double bubbler, you can remember it's in honor of his father. Be careful, though, because you don't want to get sick either. (laughs) (laughs) Number six. In the underwater world of the seahorse, it's the male that gets to carry the eggs and birth the babies. After the male and female seahorses spend time courting, the female deposits her eggs inside the male's pouch. The male then fertilizes the eggs inside the pouch. I never knew that. That's surprising right there. <laughs> seahorses. I, I think, don't think I'd ever want to do that. Yeah, I think they're the only thing that where the males actually birth the babies. Yeah, I don't know. I heard snakes maybe, but I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, let's look that up. All right, number seven. The youngest father in history was reportedly nine years old. It was in 1910. The mother was only eight, and they were farmers from China. They reportedly went. That's crazy. <laughs> they reportedly went on to get married and have four children. Now, the oldest father reported was 101, and the mother of his child was 38, and that happened in 1951. That's crazy. That old? That's surprising. In the 18th century, a man set a record for the most children fathered to one woman. He was the father of 69 children. 67 of them survived infancy. And they consisted of four sets of quadruplets, seven sets of triplets, and 16 pairs of twins. I'd love to see his child swap payments. <laughs> My lord, 69 children. That was in the 18th century. I don't know if there were child support payments back then. Uh. God bless him. All right, number eight. The closeness of a father-child relationship can significantly impact the child's future. Children who feel a closeness to their father are reportedly twice as likely as those who do not to enter college or find stable employment after high school, 75% less likely to have a teen birth, and 80% less likely to spend time in jail, and half as likely to experience multiple depression symptoms. Studies also show the quality of the father-child relationship is more important than the amount of time they spend together. So if you see a father once a week as opposed to daily, but you have a strong bond, it can be very positive. It's definitely true. Number nine, a father's voice is important during a woman's pregnancy. So during pregnancy, children in the womb can hear their father's voices. In fact, a baby will react differently to the sound of his dad's voice. The lower pitched tone penetrates through to the womb, playing an essential part in speech and language development for newborns. That's interesting. And finally, number 10. There have been two sets of father-son U.S. presidents. They were John Adams and John Quincy Adams and George Bush and George W. Bush. All right, so now that we got through that, 
I'm thrilled to be talking to my brother about his fatherhood. I've never really talked to him in depth about this before, so like my sisters on the Mother's Day episode, it's the same kind of deal. You would think that this would come up, but I don't know. It's different when you're interviewing someone and you really dig deep into these questions and and they can tell you. So I'm excited to find out stuff I don't know and just hopefully, you know, his experience can inspire other people, which I'm sure it will. So Tom, why don't you tell the listeners how many kids you have, their ages and their names? I have three children. My oldest is Dominic, my son, and he's 21 years old. I have Denver, who's my daughter, and she's 19 years old. And my youngest is Riley, my son, and he is 18 years old. Okay, so I want to start from the beginning, as always. Talk to us about the age you were when you first became a father with Dominic, and what were your initial reactions to your girlfriend at the time being pregnant? Was the pregnancy planned? Were you nervous, scared, excited, a mixture? Did you think you could handle it? All of that. The pregnancy was actually planned because we were engaged. So I wasn't surprised at all. We were actually trying. So I was very excited. I was happy. When I remember when she went for her first sonogram, we were all excited, you know, because we found out the sex of the baby. Then I remember, I think it was six months into it, they had a problem where um, they was noticing something wrong in the sonogram pictures. So it was very difficult. Like I said, it was my firstborn, so I was only 22 years old. Um, they noticed there was some fluid on the brain, which is called hydrocephalus, and it's a condition I wasn't familiar with at all. When he was born, he, he would have to have a shunt put behind his ear in order to drain the fluid, and that's a lifelong condition. So what the doctor did is he informed us that if she would like to abort the pregnancy, then that would be an option, and that would probably be the best option, considering the diagnosis and what he would have to go through for the rest of his life. But I remember right away thinking, like, no, there's no way, you know, if this is what God wants, this is what's going to happen, then, you know, so be it. We'll we'll be there for him, and we'll go through whatever we have to do. And we both actually agreed. And when he was finally born, she would have to go for a sonogram, I believe, every two weeks after that, up until she was, up until she had the baby. So when he was born, they noticed that he didn't have hydrocephalus at all. There was There was no sign of it at all there, which was strange to think about. It makes you think. Like if they were seeing it in the sonograms every two weeks and then he's born and they don't see it at all. We were excited. We were happy. We were, everything was fine. And then I remember the day that he, we were there to take him out of the hospital. I brought the car seat up and they were running the car seat test. We were all excited. But then the doctor came in the room and informed us that there was another condition that he was born with. And I don't know if it's because of all the sonograms he had or what. They just don't know what causes it. It was just a birth defect. And it was the narrowing of one of his arteries that goes to his heart. And the doctor informed us that they're going to have to um, put what's called a band around one of his one of his arteries to limit the blood that goes to the heart. So they were going to have to perform the surgery in the next couple of days. So now you look at it, he's like maybe six days old now at this point, And we're going to Providence, Rhode Island, to have the surgery done. So it was really, really a scary time, especially being a new father. I didn't have any experience. It's not like I had other children. But I just remember how I felt. And I mean, I never knew I could love something so much as when you have your child born. Then to find out that something like that has happened, it was a lot to deal with. But um, we went ahead with it and we went up to Providence and they did put a, a band around his artery. But then they informed us there was two holes in his heart, behind his heart. And that's what was causing, that's what caused the narrow artery to, to form uh, during her pregnancy. So they put the band around and everything seemed okay. They, they told us to go home, you know, they'll deal with the holes another, another time. So the baby went home. We had specific instructions on what to give him. Um, he got constipated a lot. He was on a, a medication called the digoxin, 
which um, actually gives the heart an extra like oomph, they called it, an extra pump to help out. So he was he was good up until um, six months. And then after six months, he went to the doctors and they wanted to remove the, the band and, and uh, repair the holes through the back of his heart. So he went in for another surgery. And he had that surgery. And I believe it was the day after his surgery, he, he just wasn't getting any better. And they're like, we don't know what's going on. You know, he's just not getting any better. We're going to have to put the band back on. So they, he went in the next day for another surgery. And I remember being in the waiting room and the doctor coming in and saying, it doesn't look good. You know, his blood pressure's dropping. He's not doing well. And I was like really upset. I mean, and I remember the date exactly because it was the same date that my, my father had passed away. It was June 16th. And it was a 19, it was 1999, June, no, June 16th, 2000, I'm sorry. And then after like 20 minutes, the doctor came back in and, and told us that, oh, it's okay. You know, we got the band back on. He should be okay now. You know, we'll deal with the holes in the heart when, when he gets older. So he was stood in the hospital and after like a week, he wasn't getting any better. He was just, you know, he was recovering. His, his wounds were recovering from the surgery, but he was just blowing up. He was in a coma and he just wouldn't come out. And he was blowing up, like really blowing up. Like his head was probably the size of my head. And I, I was an adult, 22 year old adult male. And this is, you're talking about a six, six month old baby. So it was really tough. And I remember telling my, uh, my ex at the time, because we had broken up at that point, I had told her, um, you know, he needs to go to Boston because they're the best and they'll, they'll know what to do. You know, he was in there for over two weeks and he wasn't getting any better. So he took him to Boston. He went into Boston and he was home a week later. They had a new experimental surgery, they called it. It was the heart catheterization where they go through the groin, um, through the artery. And once it gets up to where the holes in the heart where it blows up like a balloon around where the hole was. And then it dissolves as it heals. So that's what they did. And they, they actually sealed both his holes in his heart up and took the band off. And now he's 22 years old and he's doing great. His heart is in perfect health. So, I mean, it's a miracle. And that was my experience having a first child so I didn't really get as much experience with my first one as like a normal person would where you go home you know you're you're changing diapers you're doing this because there was so much to deal with at the time that you know that was just like that was like nothing compared to what I was dealing with so I didn't really get to enjoy that time right that's quite a lot to deal with for a first-time father yeah it definitely is it was it was tough I could say that I remember that time and you know I was pretty young but how did you um, get through that, especially when you broke up with the mother? Well, um, you know, the, the main thing on my mind was once we broke up, the main thing on my mind was just, you know, being in his life and, you know, being there for him. Because, I mean, what, you don't really understand it until you are a parent, how much love there is with your child. When you see that child born, there is so much love there. It's like you would do anything. You, you don't care what would happen to you. You die. You do whatever it takes for your child. And that was the main thing. I, the relationship took a back burner. That was, it was on the back burner. I, I didn't even think about it. It was just like, you know, it didn't work out. That's all fine and good. I, I remember we were engaged. So I had given her a ring, an engagement ring. She threw the ring at me when we broke up. So it wasn't like a, a civil breakup. And I remember the number one thing I did the next day was I took that ring. I went, I pawned it in the pawn shop. I got money for it. And I took that money and went right to the lawyer a family lawyer, and I gave him a deposit down on a case to go, you know, to get rights for my child because the way she was talking was like she didn't want me in his life and this and that. And I went to court and I and I got rights and I did get to see him and stuff. So that was really what I was doing. That was more difficult is I think I didn't go, I didn't see him for like from the time he was two months old till the time he was like three months old. So it was a little over four weeks, but that was it. And yeah, it's, it's tough, but you know, the number one thing in my mind was just seeing him and being in his life and letting him know that I'm there for him. Right. And did you turn to anybody else at that time to help you? 
Yeah, I remember when he went for his second surgery, especially, which was um, a difficult time because we were in separate waiting rooms at the hospital. So the doctor would come in, he'd go to her waiting room, which is my ex. And then he'd come to Oz and let us know what's going on. And then a couple of times he came in, he went to my waiting room first and then went to hers and she was mad. It's kind of like a competition, but I remember, well, to her it was a competition, not to me. But to um, I remember I did talk with Mara about it because she was the one who understood because she also had um, a child who passed away, which was our sister. So yes. she died from a hole in her heart also. Yes. So um, when she was a baby. So Ma actually understood the pain I was feeling. So she was there for me. And, you know, I don't know if I would have got through that without her, because I remember sitting on the porch uh, outside and sticks in my memory on Blaine Street, I believe it was, we sat on the porch and she was just sitting there rubbing my back and, you know, telling me exactly, you know, it's okay. I know how you feel. And, you know, she did know how I felt and she was there for me and I, I never forgot it. And, you know, it just made me stronger. So when I did go, you know, to the hospital and even today, I'm a stronger person for it. So. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. That's like a direct connection. You both went through that. I Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy to think about, but yeah. See, unfortunately, back then, though, there was nothing they could do. Yeah. Yeah, that was like, you when know, was that, the 60s or 70s? 60s. Yeah, right? it, was a, it was like 60s, I believe. Yeah, 60s, I think. But even like I said, when, when uh, my son Dominic had the surgery in Boston, the reason why they couldn't do the surgery was because they couldn't get behind the heart. You know, because if they take your heart out of your chest, you're obviously not going to make it. It was such a bad surgery that that's when in Boston they told us about the experimental surgery they had, which was a heart catheterization, which is what they do today. If you go anywhere today, they unclog arteries through that. So that was experimental back. You're talking like the early 2000s. I think it was like the year 2000, I believe. So, you know, that was an experimental surgery. And thank God for it, because that's what actually overall healed him and made him healthy. Yeah, I just saw something on social media the other day about a newborn, somebody's newborn had to have heart surgery and they made it through and I looked it up and it says that I think it's a whopping 90% of babies survive heart surgery today, newborns. Oh yeah, you know, what I learned is that when you're a newborn like that, you don't have a lot of stress because the only thing you know how to do is to breathe, to eat, you know, to go to the bathroom. That's all you know how to do. So there's no stress in your life, like stress about bills, stress about fighting with this one or stress about that like adults have. So newborns actually bounce back from the major surgeries or major health issues a lot more than an adult would. And that's something I didn't even know until that happened. The doctor explained it to me, which is crazy to think about, but it's true. You wouldn't think so because they're so little, but they do. That makes sense. So yeah, because stress can do a lot to your health. Yeah, it definitely can, especially uh, if you, as you get older. It can affect your heart. You can have a heart attack. It affects all kinds of stuff. You can have a stroke. Yeah. Stress is definitely a, a silent killer. Thanks for sharing all that. It was just starting it off intense. Unfortunately, you had to go through that. Yeah. My stories won't be anywhere as, as crazy as that one. So like, yeah, I mean, that was my first one. So. <laughs> yeah, luckily you, you had healthier children going definitely, on. Yeah. Okay. So what would you say uh, was the most surprising thing to you about becoming a dad? What was the easiest and hardest part? Um, I would say the, the hardest part about becoming a dad would have to be the responsibility because everything you do in your life, your children are going to look up to you and they're gonna, it's going to affect them. Whether it affects them at that moment or it affects them years later, anything you do, you're like their role model. So they're going to always look up to you and they're always going to, they're just going to look at and be like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Which means like when I was single, I would like to drink a lot, you know, go to Go out looking for girls to bars to whatever, you know, having fun. But when you become a father, it's there's so much responsibility. There's no time for fun. I mean, you have to watch what you do, watch what you say, watch what you eat, everything. Because you want your children to grow up to be a great person, you know, and to have the responsibilities and stuff that, that you need in life. 
So that would be the hottest, I would think. I'd say the most surprising thing about being a dad is I couldn't believe how I felt. I was like, when my son was born, my first son, I couldn't believe that I was like that much in love with this this child. Like I, I cared so much for this for this baby. I mean, I would do anything. It didn't matter if it was my life, if financially, whatever it is, you would do anything to take care of this baby. Once you, once that baby's born, it's like the love is unconditional. It's something you'll never experience until you become a dad. That was the most surprising to me. The easiest part is just loving your kids. And it's also the most rewarding because you're watching your kids grow up. You you created that little little child. So watching everything they do and stuff, it's just, there's nothing else like it in the world. It's the greatest in the world to me would be watching my kids even even eat a sandwich. If your kid sits there and eats a sandwich and you're watching them, you just, there's so much love there. <laughs> and you're, you're so, you're just so, be dazzled by you know what they're doing i it's so hard to explain but that is the most rewarding experience is become to becoming a father to me it was was just watching them grow up and watching them kick their first soccer ball watching them my daughter with her first cheerleading just anything like that it was just it was so rewarding and you're so proud of them and you know there's nothing else like it and i wouldn't change it for the world i love every one of my kids and you know i'm so happy and i'm so glad that i had them and they're the greatest thing in my life and it'll, they always will be. Yeah, and you said about you have to watch what you do. And you, yeah, you were a young first-time dad. Your age was like 22, and a lot of people are still partying at that age. College right, age. a lot of my friends were going out. A lot of my friends were going out, and they were like, you know, partying. Hey, I'm going here, I'm going there, I'm going to a Super Bowl party, I'm going to a New Year's Eve party. And it's tough because you're thinking in your head, oh, well, I can't do those things. But, you know, you, you have children. Your friends don't have their children, so they don't know that love. So that becomes like, that's on the back burner. You don't even really think about it because you're like, you know, I'm raising my children. And I always thought of it as, yeah, I'm raising my children now and I'm not partying. I'm not doing the things that normal 22-year-olds do who don't have any kids. But on the other hand, when my friends who are 22 now went out partying and doing what they're doing, they're going to have kids one day. And my kids will be all grown and have their own lives. So that's when I can enjoy my life and do the things I want to do, you know? Yeah, there's like good, good, and I don't want to say bad, but like benefits to both ways. If you have your kids young or if you have them older, I feel like right, just the way you look at it. Definitely, yeah. Like you said, you have more than one child. You have three. So how did each experience with the pregnancy and just having the kid and, you know, watching them grow, raising them? Obviously, you already mentioned you had a, a really intense first-time fatherhood experience. So Obviously, it was different, but how would you say, apart from the health stuff, was it different from having your first child to having your second and third? Did you find it easier since you already had a child, or was it just a different experience and you can't really say it's easier, harder? What do you think? Well, as far as like the pregnancy goes, it was pretty much the same with all three. I knew that my girlfriend at the time was you know, what she was going through and stuff. And I, I, I knew like what to do to make her feel better and stuff like that. So that was pretty much the same as far as the, when they were born, when my son was born, it was the craziest thing in the world to see. If you haven't seen it before, I recommend go and see it. I didn't take Lamaze classes or any of that stuff or anything like that, but there's no other feeling like it to see your baby born. It's a miracle. It's crazy. So after my son was born, I didn't get to cut the cord. I remember, and I was kind of upset about that. You know, I wanted to cut the umbilical cord. So when my daughter was born, I remember saying in my head, like, I really want to cut this milk cord. And I remember I reminded the doctor like 10 times <laughs> to the point where he was like, oh, yeah, you will, you will. And the reason I couldn't cut my son's was because of all the medical problems he was having. But I remember when my daughter was born, it's the same thing. I mean, I know w- when a woman is pregnant, the first birth is always the toughest most of the time. 
because they never had a baby before. After the first birth, the other ones are, are a lot faster. I didn't realize that because my son was born. Um, me and his mom didn't work out. When I got with my, my other children's mother, she had a baby. She had had a C-section for her first. So this was like her first baby, which was natural childbirth. Yeah, so you had your first son with, with an ex-girlfriend, and then you had your other two kids with another girlfriend. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Just to let the listeners know. Right. So what had happened was when my daughter was born, my girlfriend at the time had had a son just like I did. So she had her son through a C-section, her firstborn. So this was like her first natural, born, natural birth baby. So it was kind of the same thing. It took a while, you know, it took, I think it was like 12 hours of pushing, you know, stopping, pushing, you know, stuff like that. So it was, it was a long, long time. It was like an ordeal. And then my son was the same way. So it took a while. So when she was born, I mean, I remember I cut the cord. I was so ecstatic. You know, it was a girl. I had, we both had, had boys, you know, so I was so ecstatic. It's the same feeling though. It was the same feeling as I did with my son, you know, the love. I, I knew what to expect and it was right there. And the thing I was concerned about was that, like, oh, am I going to love this child as much as I love my firstborn, you know? And you know what? I can tell you right now, you love each and every one of your children the same. Because each and every one of my kids, I felt the exact same love for. So once my daughter was born, um, uh, like a, I think it was a year, a year or 14 months later, my I had another one with, with um, their mother. And that was my, my last, my youngest, my son, Riley. And when he was born, I remember her telling me when she went into labor, she's like, oh, you know, I'm getting pains. I think I should go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and now I'm expecting that my other two children were like long labors. It was like 10 to 12 hours. So I'm expecting something long. But this one was, oh, no. My, when my youngest was born, we got to the hospital. He was born 20 minutes later. So it was really fast. Wow. And I guess that's because she had already had a baby before. So it's a lot faster. You know, if you already have a natural childbirth through your first one, your other ones are a lot quicker is what I've heard. And I, I didn't realize it at the time, but yeah, it, it was a lot, a lot quicker. I didn't have time to panic or get this because it was happening and it happened. And that was it. <laughs> but it was like I said, it's the same love, you know, you feel same love. You I feel for all my children are the same. It's the same feeling. There's no other feeling like it in the world. It's the greatest feeling in the world is to watch your children be born, you know. Right. And can we just mention... <laughs> your daughter's name and where it comes from because why you named your daughter Denver <laughs> oh yeah yeah well I'm a big you know honestly when I was a kid and this was when I was a young child I used to watch a cartoon it was called Denver the last dinosaur okay and there was a there was a dinosaur in the cartoon and his, the dinosaur's name was Denver and it was like the last dinosaur on earth so I always liked that name for either a boy or a girl I wasn't sure but I mean, I never thought of it as, oh, I'm going to name my daughter or my son this. But then I remember I started to get into football and I, I liked the Denver Broncos. For some reason, I liked them. And they also had a Denver in the name, you know, the city they were from. So when my girlfriend got pregnant for my second, we didn't find out if it was a girl or a boy. So I remember telling her, you know, I really like the name Denver. And she's like, yeah, that, that is a nice name. I'm like, and if it's a boy or a girl, I think it's perfect. And we agreed. So when my daughter was born, that's how she got her name, Denver. So in... I think it's very unique, you know, that name. Yeah, and so I... That's why we named it that. I remember you telling me when I was younger, <laughs> you were going to always, you said, if I ever have a daughter someday, her name's going to be Denver because I love the Denver Broncos. And I was like, yeah, right. You're, you're never going to find a girl who's going to let you name her daughter Denver after the Broncos. And you did. <laughs> right, but a, lot, but a lot of people don't realize that that all started with the Denver Broncos because I like that cartoon, Denver the Last Dinosaur. I mean, you can watch it on YouTube. 
I haven't watched it in years, but that's that's where that name came from because I remember watching that cartoon as a kid. And that's what made me start liking the Denver Broncos. I remember, especially around where where I live, there's all Patriots fans around here. So when I tell them I'm a Broncos fan, they're like, what are you kidding me? Broncos? Where'd you get that from? Are you from Denver? I'm like, no, I've actually, I've been in there on a plane a couple of times, but I never visited or anything. That's That's something I'd love to do, but yeah. Yeah, I never knew that about that. That so yeah, it's funny how one thing can lead to another and to another and yeah, wow. Right. But it is a nice name. It's just like teasing you about it. It's funny. I think it is. I think it's a really nice name and you don't see a lot of people with it. No, you don't. All right, and what about raising your other two kids? Was it different from your first or did you kind of just go back and forth with learning different things or did you take experiences from your first and use it on your second and third? Um, well, raising my first was a little difficult because I wouldn't see him as much. So when I saw him, I would I would instill like lessons in life. You know, I tell him certain things, you know, this is what we should do. This is how we should do this. This is how you do this. You know, with my youngest two, I was more in their life. I saw them a lot more because I live with them. So if, as far as the same morals and stuff like that were instilled in all my children and they still are to this day. So all my children, pretty much, if you ask them, uh, a certain question, they're going to give you the same answer because that's the way I taught them. It's the same way I was raised, you know? Right. What are some of the tools you used or the people you turned to that helped you navigate being a father for the first time? Well, the tools I used was, I looked at my own childhood. And I looked at how I was raised. And um, I didn't agree with every decision that my parents made about the way I was raised. But I'm going to say about 90% of the, the way I was raised is what I instilled in my kids. So I looked back at my childhood and said, you know, this is the way I was raised and I think I turned out okay. So I'm going to instill the same kind of morals and raise them the same way. But then there is that 10% where you're going to say, well, I'm not going to go this way as far as my parents did, you know? So there's certain things that my parents did to raise me that I didn't agree with and I didn't instill in my kids. But I think it's your own choice. You know, you know, right from wrong and you raise your kids the best you can. And that's pretty much what I did. I tried to raise my kids the best I could. Right. And that cycle goes on. Like you learn both good and bad things from your parents and then you try to avoid the bad things and then it goes on and on and on. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, those cycles can be the bad parts until someone stops it and says, oh, I'm not going to raise my child that way. Right. So hopefully in the end, you know, you're going to be raising your kids the best way possible. Right. The best way you know how it'll get better and better and better the more generations that go if everybody uh, follows the same the same way of raising your kids. And I think you get to a certain point where even if you had like the most terrible parents, you realize that your parents only did what they knew how to do. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not so good. And then you can just not place so much blame on them and just instead learn from it. Right. Exactly. Like like in the olden days, they would spank the children, which is your children did something wrong. They're not abusing them. They're spanking them. They'll spank them, you know, if they do something wrong. Now, me, on the other hand, that's one of the things that I, I was spanked as a kid, obviously. I already know this. You were spanked mm-hmm. when you did something wrong. But when I had my children, that's one thing I didn't do. I Instead, they'd go on a timeout. I'd put them in the corner. Because I remember when I was a kid, that's one of the things I didn't agree with, you know, my parents. But like I said, that's their generation. That's the way it was supposed to be back then. Right. But that's one thing I did not do. I I never raised my hand to, to my kids ever. And, that's what, and, and I'm actually proud of that because I always said that to my head. You know, I'm, that's one thing I'll never do. And I never did. I mean, I punished them plenty of times. I think as far as, as spanking, the furthest that that goes is like if my daughter touched a hot stove or my son touched a hot stove, I'd smack him in the hand quick, a little smack, you know, to tell him like, don't touch that. So they know it's hot. You can't touch that. 
Yeah. But as far as spanking, no, I never believed in it. It's something I never did. Yeah. All right. So you have um, a unique position that not every happily married father has, um, whereas you have two different mothers for your kids from two different previous relationships. And I know, you know, you've had some difficulties there. You touched upon that a little earlier. So how do you think, like, how do you think your relationship with your exes changed at the time of the birth? Obviously, there's reasons you broke up. You don't need to get into those. But do you think that it negatively affected it or positively or maybe both? Because we were talking about back in the Mother's Day episode, how, like, I think Debbie mentioned how mom told her to pay attention, you know, to her her husband at the time when she had her first child. Make sure you give him attention, too, because these men will feel left out and it's not their fault. It's just a natural feeling because this new baby is coming into the world and they're giving the mother's giving the baby all the attention. Hopefully, you know, it's a good mother. Do you feel that affected you? Did you feel that way where you felt like the attention was a little bit off of you? And just overall, how do you think having this new person in your life, especially your first son, and then the first with the second girlfriend, because, you know, you didn't have that before. And then all of a sudden, this new person comes in, in your life. And it's, of course, going to change the dynamic of the relationship. What was that process like for you? I think, I know when my son was born, I'm not the type of person who requires attention, honestly. I'd rather have the attention off me, um, especially in a relationship. I'm just, that's just how I've always been. But I remember when my son was born, the attention obviously is going to be on him a lot more than it is on my girlfriend. So I remember my girlfriend at the time would be the one who would be like, hey, you know, I'm not getting as much attention. You know, you, you're not showing me. And that's something that, you know, I had to work on is when you have children, you have to remember you can give attention to your children, which they should be number one priority. But you also got to remember the person you're with, you have to show them some kind of attention too. You can't just stop giving them attention because you have children. And it was the same way with my, my second girlfriend, you know, when my daughter and my son were born, it was the same thing. You know, you have to make sure that you give your wife or the, your significant other attention, just, just like you would, you know, if you didn't have children, maybe not as much, but when you do show them attention, you know, you make sure it counts. And that's what I learned in two relationships, you know, is that's a big role. You have to, you have to know, you know, to give your significant other attention, because if you don't, then it's just, it's never going to work out if you're just going to be roommates. So what is the point of being together if you're living like roommates? But like I said, your children are always your number one priority, especially when they're younger. You always got to make sure that you, you show them pretty much all your attention and they require a lot of your attention to be taken care of. But yeah, a big part of that is you have to definitely show your significant other so a little bit of attention, you know, here and there. Even if it's once a month, um, setting aside a day where maybe the grandparents take the baby for the day or your children for the day and planning something nice for them. That's something that you really should do because it, it definitely helps out in your relationship and it'll make your relationship stronger too. Because remember, the, your significant other also feels the same way as you do about the children, you know? So it's a big change from being single and not having any kids. Well, from being in a relationship and not having any kids to having children because you have another person there that you have to show attention to. So you have to both work on it. And the big thing about that is talking and being on the same page and working together with the children. So I think that is how you become successful in a relationship with children, even though I've had two failed ones. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, they were learning opportunities because if it doesn't work out, it's not meant for you. That's how I see it. Right. There was other circumstances. Um, why I'm not with them anymore, but that's something, like I said, we won't go into, but it didn't have anything to do with children anyway. Right. And even if like you wish something would have worked out, 
I mean, there's a reason it didn't, whether it be something you feel was on your part or their part or both. So that just tells you right there, you're not meant to be, you're not compatible. And that's, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. That, well, that was the big thing. You know, I, I mean, I wasn't compatible with these women. On the other hand, if you are a single father and you are seeing your children and stuff, you know, and you're there for them, one big rule that I instill in everybody that I meet that's a single father is don't ever talk bad about your child's mother to them. That's... Don't ever, I don't care if she did the worst thing in the world to you. That's still your child's mother and you instill respect, especially in front of your children, that you respect their mother and you instill that to show their mother respect. And I don't care how mad you are at her, go in the room and yes. yell or whatever but don't ever do it in front of your children and i taught my children that and i've always respected their mother no matter what she did to me i might not respect her as a person but as a mother i respect them right and i totally agree with that too because even if you're not with the person it's their other parent and that can do some severe damage because they like you said they look up to you and if you talk bad about their mother they're gonna think oh it's my mother you know it's, it's one thing for them to form an opinion if the mother treats them in a certain way but for you to like feed them that, that wouldn't be good. No, absolutely not. You know, I, that's why I've always showed respect and that's the way I believe everybody should. And I think there's too many parents out there who are co-parenting who, I mean, I've seen it firsthand where there's some people I know that just talk bad about the other parent. And, you know, obviously if the, the one parent is, is abusive or it's a bad situation for the child, obviously that's one thing. But these people just have hatred toward the other parent because it didn't work out in the relationship. And then, and then they either withhold the child from the, the other parent or they just will talk bad about them or hold it over their their head or use them as like a toy in the, in this game or, you know, oh, you can't have your child if you don't do this. or And that is so bad. And that just leads me into my next question for you. And this is important because you have a lot of experience with this. And this can help a lot of fathers, especially out there who are going through this. And mothers too, but usually the mother is the main parent for a child when there's a separation. So how was the process like for you when you were co-parenting these children with your former girlfriends and you were living as a single dad and not with them anymore or with somebody else who you know wasn't the mother? How did you navigate through those challenges and when bad and difficult things would come up? You have your perspective and you're trying your best. So when there were disagreements, all of that, like how did you handle all that pressure and, and all that difficulty that I know you've had? And then were there also any good parts to co-parenting? With my firstborn, Dominic, I remember right, right off the bat, as soon as we broke up, it was like, um, you know, you're not going to see him no more. You're not going to be in his life. And that's just, that scared me, you know? So that's when... I right off the bat, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to get a lawyer. I'm going to do what I got to do to get rights to see my son. And that's what I did. So right off the bat, it wasn't good. And it, honestly, up to this day, it still wasn't good. But the way I dealt with that is I just tried to be the best I could to my son. Every time I saw my son, I spent time with him. You know, I just wanted to show him how much I loved him and tried to teach him right from wrong. And even though I have a lot of like hurtful feelings towards his mother, I, I still would never talk bad about his mother to him. If I had something to say to her, I'd call her up when he's not around and, and I'd say it to her, you know. But when I was with him, I would never say anything hurtful, you know, about his mother to him. And that's, that's one thing that, you know, it didn't work both ways because she would do that a lot. But, you know, all I would say is that, you know, I feel I'm the better person and I feel that he respects me a lot more because I didn't do those things. He's 22 now, so he knows a lot more now than he, than he did then. But I also kept a journal where I wrote down, you know, how I felt and the things that happened. And once he hit 18 years old, he got that journal. So it wasn't talking bad about his mother. It was just stating, you know, what had happened and oh, this wow. certain point in his life. Yeah. So he, he knows all that. And that, it, it was a lawyer that told me to do that. I'm glad he told me to do that because 
you know, there's things in there I don't even, I, I would have never remembered. That's so a that's really good idea. That. Yeah. So I that's why I dealt with that. I didn't know you did that. Wow. But, right. A lot of the times I'd call to see him and she'd say, oh, we're going on vacation and you can't see him this week. And she'd probably tell him something different, you know, like, oh, your dad can't see you this week because he's busy or something, which wasn't true. Right. I would document it in the journal. And, you know, when he got older, he, I showed him it. And it's not, I'm not trying to put his mother down or anything. I never said anything bad about her in that journal. I never wrote anything bad, no matter even if I was feeling it. I just documented the, the state of the facts of what happened. And that's, and that was a big part of why he's in my life to this day. Because if it was up to his mother, he wouldn't be, you know? It, and it's sad because me, no matter what my child's mother did to me, I would never hold that against her for seeing our children or whatever. And I really didn't do anything bad to her. She was just, she's just that type of person, but nothing I can do about that. But as far as um, my youngest two, which is Denver and Riley, I was just there for them all the time, you know? And they and like I said, never talked bad about them around their mother or anything. There was times they came to my house around school time and I'm, I mean, I'm paying child support. I'm paying 300 plus dollars a week just in child support, just for them to. And they're showing up to my house with sneakers with holes in them and stuff, you know? And you know what? I didn't even call the mother up, didn't say anything. I just went to the store and I'd buy him a pair of sneakers. That's just the way it was. When school came around, I'd ask them, do you have school clothes? They'd say, oh, no, we don't. So guess what? I'd go and I'd buy him school clothes. I still wouldn't say nothing bad about the mother to them. Um, when I saw her, I would say something to her like, you know, I'm giving you all this money and, you know, you're not providing for my children. Something's wrong there. And, you know, she wouldn't agree with me, but that's just the way that was. But like I said, I'd do it on the side. My children weren't around and I talked to her on the phone or something. I would never do it in front of my children. But they, they even know that to this day. And now my children, my youngest is 18, Dominic, uh, Riley, I'm sorry. And my daughter is 19. And they see now, they're like, Dad, on Christmases, you know, you gave us all this stuff. And Ma gave us hardly anything. And the crazy part about that is, is that really, I was paying that child support. So whatever that mother gave would be partly from me too, because I'm also paying for them. But I didn't look at it like that. I just looked at it like, you know, I'm just going to do what I can do for my kids no matter what it does for me, you know, if it leaves me broke or whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, I want to provide my kids with the best and it doesn't matter what she does. You know, they can judge it when they get older. And that's, that's just the way I've always, I've always been. Right. And that goes back to what we're saying about the, the facts about people automatically think someone's a deadbeat dad if they don't pay a certain amount or, you know, when a lot of the time those fathers do pay a certain amount, but it's either not enough for the mother or, it might not be enough with their income, but then they also spend a lot of time with the child. And I know for me, like growing up with our dad, I, I didn't have him very long, but I know that more of what I remember is the times he spent with me rather than what he bought me. You know what I mean? Right. So that's what's really important. And I think, you know, money is one thing. Of course, you want to provide for your children, but I think people need to focus less on money and more on the quality of relationships with the dads. Right. Well, that would be like, I would see my children twice a week. So I would get them on the weekend and then I'd see them during the week for over an overnight, one day a week. Um, and also on the weekends, I'd get them. So I made sure that when I did get my children, that they were like the number one priority. You know, I would, I would play games with them. I would read to them. I would do things with them. And that's something that like their mother, sad to say, wouldn't do that a lot, you know? So mm -hmm. they noticed that. And they, they liked to see me, you know, they, they enjoyed coming because I'd show them the attention. And it's pretty sad when if you, ha you have these mothers that are out there and, you know, they have the children all week long and they a lot of them just can't wait to get rid of their children. Oh, well, I'm going to send the children to the father's house. Well, you know, when you have your kids all week, you should spend some time with them. Just because they're living there and they're living in your house and you're feeding them supper and stuff, that's really, that's really not spending time with your children. Sitting down, asking them how their day was. 
reading a book, playing a game with them, that's going to be spending time with them. So even though I saw them twice a week, which is around three days a week, I still made it to where, you know, it was the most important time to me every week. And they see that. So those three days a week was more important than the other five days that they were spending with their mother, you know, because she didn't do a lot with them. Right. You know, it's funny. I heard too. What do you think about this? Because I mean, obviously, this would only be for people who, you know, who have pretty good finances, they could do this. But there was somebody I heard on the radio show or something once who it was a, a woman who split from the father of her three kids. And this has become a thing for again, only the people who can afford this can do this. But this has become a thing. And I think in my opinion, it's actually is a good resolution, if you can do it. But what people have been doing is instead of making the child go from home to home back and forth for their parents, they'll buy one home, and that child will live in that home. And it's the father and the mother who have different apartments. And they are the ones that go back and forth because they're the ones who split up. And they don't think the child should go through that if they don't need to. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good idea. But I don't know how convenient that would be with people today. Right. It depends. There's a lot of factors in it. Like, but it's, it's basically so just because it didn't work out in the relationship, you don't have to have that child go back and forth and back and forth. Whereas you're doing that because you're an adult, you know, you know, you're taking on responsibility for that child. If you can, obviously a lot of factors go into it, but if someone can afford an extra house and let that child live there and they're the ones that go back and forth, I mean, it all depends too, because I mean, if you if you're getting your children, then they have their own room here, like where you live, and they come and they know where their room is, and they go in their room. You know, they're still gonna feel at home as long as you make it a home. So it's all about making it a home. So they're gonna have their home there, and they're gonna have their home here. But if you have your children and they're coming over your house and they're sleeping on your couch, then yeah, that's not gonna feel like you know it's a home to them. So you have to make a home for your children. It's not just getting to see them, and when they come over, they feel like they're guests. No, you want to make them feel like they're home. So that's a big part of it, too. You just make it a home for them and you make them feel like they're at home. Like this is your home and that's your home. You have two homes. Right. And that's the key to make them feel like they're at home and not like a guest. That's the tricky part. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. A lot of divorced couples or just couples who never got married didn't work out. They do like tend to have that. Oh, good. I'm away from my kid for a weekend. He's with his dad or he's with his mom. I mean, it may be just something like, you know, every parent feels like they need a break. But what about the parents who aren't separated? You know, so it's it's like it's I never understood that. I, I remember every time my kids came, I was very happy. And then I remember when they left, maybe 10 minutes after they left, I was sitting here and I kind of felt depressed because, you know, I know they're leaving for and I ain't going to see them for three days. And it would actually make me feel depressed, you know, and I would feel down like, oh, man. And I, that's why I never understood any parents that say, oh, I'm so happy to get the kids away or whatever. So it's crazy. It's a crazy feeling. It's, it's a feeling I can't explain. And it's not a good feeling either. I'm not a parent, but I don't think it takes a parent to know that if you're shoving the kid out the door to go with their other parent and you're like, oh, good, get away from me. I don't think that's very good for that child's psychological stuff going on there for their mind. And that can come out later, you know, because I know people who have been through that and they always look back and say that's something I remember and it affects them and they feel like a burden like they're, you know, so. Right. Like with me, I know a lot of parents say like, oh, I need a break from these kids. They're going to go stay at their grandparents for this tonight or whatever. Yeah, it's all fine and good. You know, you want the grandparents to see them and stuff. But to me, I'd still miss my kids, even if they went to stay at the grandparents' house. Or when I would get my break is when my kids were sleeping. When my kids are in bed and they're sleeping, that's my break. But the thing about that is that I, I would still feel good because I could open the door, go in the room 
and, and look at them and see them sleeping there. So I know where my kids are. I know my kids are safe. And that's a big thing. I Honestly, if I could, I would never let my kids sleep anywhere, when they're, especially when they were younger. Now they're adults, so, you know, people have to grow up. But, yeah, I mean, I would have my kids all the time. Right, and you feel that lack of control. It's like, I mean, I feel that way with my pets. So it's like, you know, you, you feel like if someone else is with them, you can't totally put your 100% trust into that person because it's it's your baby. It's, you know, you're like, right. I want to make sure they're okay. Yeah, and that journal thing, that is such a good idea. So you were basically writing your feelings, and you couldn't tell him at the time, but he was able to look back on it and know how you were feeling. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, it'd be the stupidest things. It'd be like something like, um, oh, I was supposed to get you today, but your mom said she's going on vacation, so I can't see you till next week. And I'd write something like that in there and put, like, I'm very disappointed. I wanted to see you so bad. So then when, if the mother's telling him, like, his mother would tell him she wouldn't go on vacation. She would just tell him, oh, your dad's not seeing you this week. He's busy. So then that would stick in his head. So then when he got older and he's like, wow, all these times that you said that you couldn't see me, you know, because you were busy. In this journal, it says that mom said we were going on vacation and mom said we were going here. I says, yeah, because that's exactly what happened, you know? And that's why I wrote it in there. So he knows, he knows the truth, you know? And it's not only that, it'd be other things too. It'd be like, oh, you came over today and I noticed there was like, you were wearing a shirt that was like a size too small. So I went and I bought you another shirt and gave it to you, you know? Stuff like that, the little things like that. Yeah, and I think that's good even for people who aren't single parents to have a journal for their kids to look back on just when they're older. Right, exactly. I remember a lawyer told me that, and I thought it was a great idea, and that's why I did it. I, I just regret I didn't do it with my two youngest. Yeah, well, yeah, you were focusing on the one you felt like needed it the most at the time. Right, exactly, because I only saw him once a week, right? Yeah, so you wanted to make sure he knew who you were. Yep. Lawyer needs a raise. It's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, definitely. Did you ever thank him? Well, I, th- I thanked him the, the last time I saw him in court, but no, I haven't thanked him. I, I think he has actually died. He was an older guy. Oh, no. I was going to say, you should send him like yeah, an email and say, oh, my son saw this and he loved it, you know? Yeah, he passed away, I think. So well, he I made a my difference. chance, I guess. No, but he made a, a difference. There's his legacy. He definitely did, yeah. Do you have a memory with your kids that sticks out that made you feel really grateful you were a dad? Honestly, I would say my children's faces when they open their Christmas gifts or a birthday gift or something like that, just seeing them happy or even taking them like to the park, to to the zoo, stuff like that. Anything like that is my biggest memory. Just seeing my children so happy and so excited. There's no better feeling in the world than seeing your children happy and excited over something. Any memory of going to the zoo and all those, I have tons and tons of memories. I've taken my kids to a lot of places so and gave them a lot of gifts you know, over the years, so just giving them something that they really, really wanted so bad, you know? And one thing I took from when I was a kid is, like, my son, he wanted I remember it was a, I think it was a PlayStation 2 at the time. And I had told him, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I tried to get it. I tried to get it. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. You know, I was just kidding with him. And then I remember on Christmas morning, you know, when he came to my house and he opened that gift and it was a PlayStation 2. I never forget seeing his face. Like, you tricked me in his face. And he was so happy. And, you know, things like that. That's something I took from what my parents did to me. My parents did it to me. Well, our parents, they did it to us. Yeah. They did it to me with uh, my Nintendo. They hid my Nintendo and, you know, didn't give it to me until like 10 minutes after everybody opened their gifts. So I remember, and then I remember dad walking out of the room like, oh, Santa Claus left one in the room. (laughs) And it was my Nintendo. And I remember how I felt. It made me feel so good. So I wanted to give that to my kids. And that was an experience I took from my own childhood and gave it to my son. That's awesome. Yeah. That is always fun when you realize you didn't get the number one thing you wanted. And then they're like, oh, there's one more thing. So what would you say it's like having adult children now? Because all of your children are adults. Your youngest is 18. 
Do you like having adult children? Do you see different benefits from it? The big thing about having adult children is I don't see them as much, which I don't blame them because they're at that age where, you know, they have their own lives and they're, you know, going out, being young. So I don't talk to them as much and see them as much as I used to. But I don't blame them for it. And I, I'm not the type of parent who calls them up and say, hey, you never call me or I never see you or anything like that. Um, I'm the type of parent who just sits back, you know, and every once in a while, though, I'll send them a message saying, hey, you know, I'm still here. You know, we need to go out to eat or something, all of us together. And we do that. But I, I try to let them um, enjoy their life. And I'm just happy that they're out there enjoying their life. I mean, I'd like to see them more. I'm not going to lie, but I mean, I don't hold it against them. They're, they're still young. And I know through my experience that as you get older, you'll see your parents a lot more than you did when you were like in your late teens, early 20s. It's just a, a fact of life. So that's the age they're at now. And I'm just trying to deal with that. Yeah. In yeah. the best way I can. Yeah, you always come back around, I think, because when you first become an adult, you want to get away. You're like, oh, I'm free. I can do whatever. I don't need to live at home anymore. I can make my own decisions. But then once that wears off, I think you always come back and you, you realize you need your, your mom or your dad. Right. I mean, I still see them on like Christmas and stuff. Like like I said, I, I tried so hard to take them out to eat. I wanted to do it every two weeks. Say, oh, well, get together and get something to eat. But it, it, it just it doesn't happen because, you know, they, they have their own lives. They're doing their own thing. So I, I tried once a month, and that's what I try to stick to is the once a month thing. So at least I see them once a month if I can. And that's what I try to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. As far as that goes. But like I said, they're older now, so I just stay in the back burner. And if they ever need me, they know I'm right here, so. All right, so obviously you and I grew up together, but you're seven years older than me. Some people might think that's far apart in age, but in our situation, you're actually the closest in age to me out of all of our siblings. Altogether, there's six of us. I'm the youngest. You're the second youngest. So I lived with you the longest out of everybody. So obviously, I looked up to you. You introduced me to a lot of things. We have an older sister who lived with us, um, I think, till I was about nine. So she influenced me a lot in the, the female aspect of things. But you influenced me a lot. You know, like you would show me video games, movies, songs, shows that I still love to this day. And I definitely looked up to you, I would say, maybe the most out of everybody, even though you were a male, so it was a little bit different. I was just wondering, like, did you do that with your own kids? Did you find that it was a similar dynamic because I was younger than you as your little sister and we were far enough apart in age to where, you know, it wasn't like you you were at a different point in your life than I was because of the seven-year difference. So you were able to influence me from your, your perspective. You were able to give me advice and, and show me things. Did you show like your own kids the same things you showed me? Or do you think it's different because you're their dad? So you're my brother. So obviously I look up to you. I, I want to be like you. I was influenced by what you like. But with your kids, do you think it was similar? Or do you think it was different? Because, you know, when it's your parent, you might not want to like the same things they like. And did you show them all those things? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, my kids, I showed them everything that I loved as a child. And I tried to get them into everything I loved as a child, honestly, if not more. I mean, I wasn't pushy. I let them like what they want. But my kids know everything I liked, all the movies I liked. My son's favorite movie, my oldest son, is Back to the Future. And now that's <laughs> my favorite movie. So that goes to show you, you know. Now, I didn't tell him that this, hey, this is the movie you need to like. No, he just, I showed him the movie. I introduced him to it. Um, I did it to to all my kids, as far as my youngest is big into video games, I'm big into video games. So there's definitely that yeah, where I, I would show them everything everything that I thought they would be interested in, I tried to show them. And sometimes it stuck, sometimes it didn't. Like my daughter, she don't like video games at all. She likes her own thing. 
Now, she's a female like you, so who knows? Maybe maybe that has something to do with it. But as far as, yeah, everything I enjoyed as a child, I tried to give my kids all that and more. And even newer stuff. Newer stuff that I think that they'd like, I tried to show them. As far as like what I showed you when you were a child or, or my kids, I think it's like the same thing. Because when you were my younger sister, you were like like my child, you know? You're younger, so you're like the child to me. So I would show everything that I liked to you. And I instilled it into my own kids. And my kids like a lot of the stuff I liked as a kid. And if they don't like it, they still know it. Like my youngest, he's, I, we've watched every Indiana Jones movie. We've watched every Back to the Future movie. We've watched Weird Science. Uh, we've played Nintendo, old Nintendo. I have the old Nintendo. We've played the Nintendo I played when I was a kid. I instilled, taught him everything he knows about video games. Like, dang, this is what I used to play as a kid. So they know all that. And, you know, some things they liked, some things they didn't. They're their own person. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I just, I tried to get into the stuff they liked also. Yeah, now that you say that, I think back at dad for me, and you're right, like he influenced a lot of the stuff I like too. It was just I was so young when he passed away that he didn't get to really influence my teen years and all that that would have really affected like you did. But yeah, you're right. And I think with mom, it was different because she didn't, wasn't really that type of person to show us movies or show us things like that. She was more just being our parent, you know, and, and showing us right from wrong, but in a different way. Right. So, yeah, for the mothers of your kids, do you find that they did the same thing? Did they introduce? Because if I ever have kids, I want to be able to introduce them to the stuff I love. But I feel like that is a lot more of a dad thing than a mom thing. And I don't know why. You think it's just because the mothers are so focused on taking care of the kids and they feel like that's the dads? I think as far as the mothers go, I think it's more of um like males, they don't really have a lot in common with males for some reason. So the different sexes. So a lot of the stuff that little boys don't like, a mother's not really going to understand because, you know, she's a female. But I think as far with girls, I think like my daughter is probably more influenced by her mother with certain things than with me. You know, and I think it's the same thing with, with my sons. They're more influenced by me than they are their mother. And that's only because, you know, it's a male thing and it's a female thing. But I think... As far as mothers and fathers, I think they can influence their kids equally. I mean, if it's the same types of things, you know, you're going to want your child to do what you enjoyed as, as a kid. Hopefully they'll enjoy it. And if they don't, then you find something that they do enjoy. I think it works both ways. I think a mother and a father should try to influence their kids and be there, you know. If you're the, the right parents and you do do that, your child's going to grow up happier and be a better person in the end. Right. Is there one important trait or lesson that you hope you passed on to your kids? The one thing I can think of right now would be like respect, respect your elders. I've always taught my kids, you know, to have respect for your elders. Um, if they, you meet somebody who's who's older than you, I don't care if they're wrong, you still respect them and you show them respect. And I've tried to instill that in all my kids, you know. There's nothing worse than you see a little kid talking down to like a, uh, an older person. I think there's nothing worse than that because you should always respect your elders because your elders are always wiser than you. Like I'm 45, so if I meet an 80-year-old man, I know he's been through a lot more than I have. So everything he says, I'm going to respect and I'm going to listen to because he's been through it. And I've taught my kids that, you know, no matter if you think you know it all, you're always going to meet somebody who's going to know more because they're older than you. So you always want to sit there and show them respect and listen to what they have to say. So I think that would be the main thing I taught my kids is to respect their elders and sort of show people respect also too. I agree. But I, I have heard before from not a lot, but a few people have said, well, why should I respect my elders if they're being rude to me? It's only if they're not rude to me that I'll respect them. What would you say to those people? Yeah, I would say no. I'd say even if they're rude to you, you still should show them respect. I mean, 
if you look at like God says, if, if somebody hits you in the face or something, you turn the other cheek, it works the same way. If an elder is, is showing you disrespect, just walk away. And I mean, that's still a form of respect. You just don't bother with them. If they're showing you disrespect like that, then just don't bother with them. Or sometimes, you know, it could be you need to listen to them. And if you listen to them, you know, in the end, they could be trying to teach you something. So just, you know, open your ears and, you know, whatever the situation requires is what you need to do. Whether it's listen more and listen to what they have to say, or even if you don't agree, you can say, hey, you know, that's fine. I, I thank you. And if I don't agree with something that somebody says, I just, especially if they're older than me, I'll just be like, okay, I respect your opinion. Thank you. And, you know, walk away. And that's just showing respect. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so what advice would you give to a new father out there who may be stressing right now and is scared of the future? I would say to just show your child unconditional love, be there for your child, no matter what, whether they do right or wrong, and just be the best person you can be because they'll always look up to you. You are considered their role model. So whatever you do in your life, your child's going to see and your child's going to repeat. So if you want your child to grow up to be a great person, then you got to be a great person. So that's what it comes down to. So if you're a uh, Partying hard like I was at before you have any children. Once you have children, you don't do that anymore because guess what? You don't want your child growing up like that. You want to show your child right from wrong. So that's the, the most advice I can give anybody who has a, who just had a child is to, you know, make sure you always stay on the right path and do the best job possible no matter what, especially in front of your children. And always show respect for your partner, no matter if you're together or not, because that's still your child's, that's still their mom or their dad. So either way, so always show respect and don't ever show them disrespect. Because you don't want your child growing up to have disrespect towards one parent, not the other. That's not good. All right. You and I have something that we have gone through that none of our other siblings have really gone through. When our dad passed away, we were very young. We still lived with him. Uh, everyone else was out of the house at that point. I was 10. You were 18. So if I ever have kids, you know, obviously he's not going to be here in human form to see it. And the same thing with you. You had your kids after he already passed. So how did you get through that time when you were having your kids and you knew, you know, he already passed, he wasn't going to be there in human form, as I always say, because I do believe, you know, their energy is still there. They're watching over us, however you want to look at it. But how did you get through that time and knowing that you had to raise your kids without being able to go to dad for advice? What did you tell yourself to help cope with that? Or what did you do, really? What I did was I just looked at my childhood and how he was towards me and how, you know, he raised me. The things he would do, the things he would say. When I look back at dad, I look back at like a great person, you know, a big influence in my life. So what I did is I tried to just mimic the things he did, the things that I enjoyed, especially as a kid that he did. So he would come in the room, he'd play video games with me. I, I mean, I tried to do that with my kids. I, anything he did, play games, do anything. I just tried to be exactly like him and more. That's how I got through it. I know he wasn't around, but he's left me with so many memories and so many things that he did in my life that I just wanted to instill into my kids' lives. So I just tried my best to do exactly what he did and more. And, and that's how I got through it is by just reminiscing about the things he did with me and trying to do the same things with my kids. And I think if I did that, I was doing a good job and especially a good job to my kids, but also to his memory by doing that. Right. And how did you keep his memory alive with your kids who would never meet him? Oh, I would tell them all kinds of stories, you know, of what my, my dad used to do with me. And I'd show them pictures and tell them who he was and said how much he would he loves them. And, you know, he's in heaven looking down on them. And I mean, my kids know, know dad as, as much as they would probably if he was alive because of how much I've talked about him. 
I mean, I've talked so much about him. They know everything. They know the stories when I was a kid. I told them the, everything, everything, the, the, the things he did to make me laugh, um, the love he gave me, all that stuff I told them. And I tried to tell them as much as I could. So if somebody asked them, hey, you know your, your grandfather? I think they do know their grandfather because I instilled everything I could into my kids in his memory, you know, to keep him alive. And I think that's all you can do. That's the most you can do. We went to his grave. We visited his grave many times, put flowers on it. So that's all you can do is pretty much just uh, tell them what a great person he is, you know, and, and how he was when he was here and he was alive. The last question I have for you is, so as many people know, and I talked about this on the Mother's Day episode, our mom passed away in December. So that's a different dynamic since, you know, your kids already met her and knew her and now they're adults. So how do you think you'll keep her memory alive? How is it different? Because obviously they already know her. They met her. They're still young just became adults. So are you still going to use that same dynamic where you keep talking about her and bringing her up? It's a little bit different because now they can think back on her as well. So how do you think you're going to move forward now that she's passed on? I think the way I'm going to do it is probably the same way that I did with dad, but I think it would be more with like my grandchildren. So I would tell my grandchildren, you know, how she was just like I did with my kids with dad. I would keep their memory alive by just reminiscing of the times that that I had with them. Uh, my kids know how she was, so I'm sure my kids uh, will do the same. Thank you for that, for sharing all that. It can be hard to think back because I'm asking questions about years ago. <laughs> it's good to know these things. I think you're going to inspire a lot of, especially single dads. I think that's so important too because there's so many struggling single dads out there that hearing your story I think is going to help. And also parents of sick babies, you know, because you have, you've been dealt a lot and you're still going through a lot right. in your life. But, you know, I always say, you know, you've been handling it and we can't really choose our journey as far as we know. And if we did, then we chose it for a reason. Right. So. Well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, so. Right. I agree. All right. So before we move on to the final part of our episode, I wanted to mention some top media all about fathers. So if you need any suggestions for songs, movies, TV shows, here are some that I love and just some that I did a little research on and found. So the top songs about fathers. Now this is of all genres. My Father's Eyes by Eric Clapton. Your Joy by Chrisette Michelle. Papa Don't Preach by Madonna. He Didn't Have to Be by Brad Paisley. Song for Dad by Keith Urban. Daddy by Beyonce. Daddy Lessons by Beyonce and Dixie Chicks. My Old Man by Zach Brown Band. Color Him Father by The Winstons. Daddy Could I Swear I Declare by Gladys Knight and the Pips. Daddy Come and Get Me by Dolly Parton. Baby Father by Sade. Papa Don't Take No Mess by James Brown, Father of Mine by Everclear, My Father's House by Bruce Springsteen, The Greatest Man I Never Knew by Reba McIntyre, Daddy's Hands by Holly Dunn, The Best Day by George Strait, I Learned From You by Miley and Billy Ray Cyrus, My Daddy by Evelyn Turrentine Agui, My Old Man by Mac DeMarco, Papa Was a Rolling Stone, by The Temptations, Papa Can You Hear Me by Barbara Streisand, You Should Be Here by Cole Swindle, Build Me a Daddy by Luke Bryan, He Walked on Water by Randy Travis, His Dream by Asher Roth featuring Miguel, First Man by Camila Cabello, Father's Love by Bob Carlyle, 
My Dad by Paul Peterson, Dance with My Father by Luther Vandross, and The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics. Now these are all kinds of dads. Stepdads, losing your dad, in place of a dad. That's what all of this media is about. Yeah, My Dad by Paul Peterson is a real good one. I like that one. Yes, we grew up with that one. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Now the movies about fathers. The Pursuit of Happiness, Father's Day, Big Daddy, Father of the Bride, Mrs. Doubtfire, Daddy Daycare, Three Men and a Baby, and Three Men and a Little Lady, Dad, Daddy's Home, The Godfather, Big Fish, Field of Dreams, Fatherhood, Father of the Year, Getting Even with Dad, Like Father, Onward, and Everybody's Fine. Now, TV shows that focus a lot on the father. Doesn't necessarily have to be all about a father, but focuses on a father's role. And those are Full House, Blackish, Wife and Kids, Dads, Bob's Burgers, Family Guy, The Sopranos, F is for Family, Council of Dads, Two and a Half Men, American Dad, Everwood, Sanford and Son, and then my favorite, Party of Five. And that's when the brother takes over the role of the dad. The Sopranos would be my favorite. That's a good show. Yeah. And the last category is books about fathers. Pops, Fatherhood, and Pieces by Michael Chabon. An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. Tinkers by Paul Harding. Dad, I Want to Hear Your Story, A Father's Guided Journal to Share His Life and His Love by Jeffrey Mason. And When Did You Last See Your Father by Blake Morrison. Reading My Father by Alexandra Styron, All That You Leave Behind by Aaron Lee Carr. To Me, He Was Just Dad, Stories of Growing Up with Famous Fathers by Joshua David Stein. The Milkman's Son by Randy Lindsay. Tea with Dad, Finding Myself in My Father's Life by Nancy Young. And Letter to My Father, a memoir by G. Thomas Kauser. All right, so now is the time in the episode where we are doing a special giveaway in honor of my dad and Tom's dad. So our dad lived to be 54 years old, and he passed away in 1995. And I thought it would be nice, just like we did for my mom in the Mother's Day episode, to give away a gift card in honor of him to some dad out there. So I asked dads to enter. We're going to draw someone at random right now, and whoever wins, they get a $54 gift card to anywhere they choose. Could be a restaurant, could be anything, Visa, Amazon, whatever they choose. So we're going to do that in honor of our dad right now. All right, so I have all the entries here. We're going to shake them up. And I know you entered, Tom, too, right? (laughs) Yes, I did. My fingers are crossed. Yeah, the only... The only requirement was that you were a dad, so we have a bunch of dads in here. All right, let's choose someone. All right, Tom, you can tell me when to stop. Okay, stop. Okay. All right, and the winner of the gift card is... Oh, it's Mike! Nice. (laughs) It's our brother-in-law, Mike. Congratulations, Mike. (laughs) Yep, Mike is our brother-in-law. He's married to our sister, Dawn, and he is the father of his two daughters, Courtney and Tara, who are our nieces. So congratulations, Mike. 
That's awesome, Mike. You deserve it. Congratulations. Yep. In honor of our dad. Absolutely. That's great. All right. So I will let you know, Mike, that you won and we'll choose where you want to buy the gift card from. So now we're going to move on to the last part of the episode. And we want to dedicate the whole episode, but especially this part to our dad. Uh, Like I said, our dad passed away in 95 and... It's still hard all these years later to, you know, live without him, but we keep his memory alive and we're going to talk about him a little bit right now and and kind of reminisce. So dad, this is for you. Happy Father's Day. We love you. Happy Father's Day, dad. Love you. So our dad, start off by telling you a little about our dad. He was a very laid back kind of guy. He worked as a sewing machine mechanic most of his life. And he would make us clothes, and he was a good cook, and he was just quiet. He enjoyed golfing. He enjoyed playing video games with us, watching movies. What else? He he liked wrestling, right? He would watch wrestling with you, Tom? Oh, yeah, wrestling, boxing. Boxing, yep. He loved golf. Yep. Which I still don't understand how he could sit there and watch golf all those hours, but he enjoyed it. (laughs) And he used to play it in the backyard. Yeah, a lot of fun playing golf. Yeah, he loved animals. He's like me. Like, even to this day, if I see a bug in the house, I try not to kill it. And I know he was like that, too. It just made me feel bad to kill a bug. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way. He, he really cared for animals. Yeah, insects, animals, anything. So he's just a kind-hearted, laid-back, quiet kind of guy. But he also had a really funny personality and would tease a lot of people and things like that. He also went through a lot. He had two brothers who passed away at young ages, and he was the last of them to pass away. That whole family pretty much for our grandma and grandfather, they lived to be pretty old age, but all their sons passed away really young. So it's just one of those things, but he um, he got through it and he was strong. And Yeah, he, he went through a lot. I really admire his courage and his strength. It's definitely something I look up to. He was a strong person. He was. Yeah, so just overall great guy. It was Portuguese, um, would make good Portuguese food, all of that. So I just wanted to start off on just talking about our favorite thing about him. So I think my favorite thing was just his sense of humor. He would make up these characters, like one that sticks in my mind is called the Beast. <laughs> he would make it up <laughs> and he did it with me and you. I don't know if he did it with the others, but because Tom and I are the youngest of six. So the Beast was like this character he made up where he would get on his knees and it was like supposed to be this wild beast and he would swing his arms and he'd chase like me and my friends and and whoever was over the house, he'd chase us into the room, and then he'd tickle us, and he'd say, the beast is coming, the beast is coming, and we'd freak out and, like, yeah, run and laugh, and oh, and then you make all these wild noises, like, ha, ah, ah, ah. I can't even, <laughs> I can't mimic it, but. Yeah, he'd be breathing, and he'd sound like a, a werewolf or something. The heavy breathing, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, I remember that time as a kid, and I used to run from him, but I enjoyed every minute of it. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was fun. He knew we, you know, that thing where you're scared, but you like it. It's adrenaline rush, especially when you're a kid. That was just one of the many characters he had and one of the many funny things he used to do. So I, I just really admired his his sense of humor. And I, I consider myself a silly person, too. So I feel like I got that from him for sure, because he was just funny. He was he was really funny. And I think that's my favorite thing. And the thing I miss most about him is just those funny 
characters and all those funny little antics he'd do. There's a lot more we could get into, but we only have a certain amount of time in a show. But yeah, that's definitely my favorite thing. What about you, Tom? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember him playing uh, Nintendo with me. He would play uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And when he knocked down the first box of Glass Joe, which was the easiest guy in the world, he would jump up like he just won the World Heavyweight title in real life, <laughs> waving his arms and his hands. And it'd be 11 o'clock at night, and my mother would be saying, well, our mother would be saying, hey, he's trying to sleep for school. Be quiet. And Oh, I would laugh. I'd have so much fun just watching him play those games. That's just one of the many memories. Yeah. Would you say that was your favorite thing about him playing the games? Yeah, well, that and also like his sense of humor, really. He always, every time, no matter what we did, whether it was play a board game, watch a movie, whatever it was, he was so involved with us with it that it just made me feel good inside and it made me feel like he was enjoying it just as much as I was, if not more in some cases, which was a great feeling to have a, a father like that who was so involved in my life. He was. He wasn't like... I don't know, for me, I think because I was the youngest and I was this little girl, he would call me, he would, you know, he'd hug me and kiss me a lot. But I think in general, he wasn't very, he was more of a guy who, he didn't say I love you a lot, but he would show, you know, the things he did show that he cared and, and things like that. Right, definitely, yeah. He, he definitely was a very caring person, a loving father. He was just an all around great guy, really. And it's like I said um, before, it's definitely somebody that I try to instill in my own life to be more like him because he was such a great person. And I have so many great memories with him that uh, if I could even be a fraction of that, it would be just great towards my kids, you know? Yeah. What's something you would say that he taught you that you hold close and you'll keep with you forever? Probably what we were just talking about, you know, just showing love and showing attention and being involved in your children's lives. Um, I still remember that. I mean, I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm 45. And those are just great memories of my childhood. And that's the things that I just loved about him was how involved he was in my life and how much fun I had when I was with him. Because you see a lot of fathers today and they're either watching TV or their attention is, is somewhere else and it's not on their children where it should be. And I've always tried to instill that in my own life. And uh, I think that's one of the most important lessons that he taught me was to be like that towards my children. And I have a very close relationship with all my children and it's due to him because, you know, without him showing me that love when I was younger, I don't know if I'd be the same person I am today or the same father. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's again, yeah, he showed you the importance of having not just a like authority figure connection, but a connection where you could enjoy things, you know, your kids enjoy. You can show your kids attention in the way of you're not just telling them what to do or what to like, but you're actually enjoying what they like. You're actually spending time with them, showing them that it's worth it, what they like. It's worth his time to enjoy that with you. That and just, he was also a perfect example of like, he was just laid back where he didn't take things too seriously. I mean, there would be times where he would get angry like any of us, but it was most of the time you could tell he would just try to be a mediator and, and just not get to that level unless it was absolutely necessary. And he would try to just stay calm and work it out. So that's something I think that I've learned from him too, is you don't need to freak out or raise your voice or any of that. If you're angry, just try to not take everything too seriously to where it gets you to that point. Right. I remember like he would, he would get um me to be very excited about the smallest activities, whether it was, oh, tomorrow we're going to go outside and we're going to put together this dollhouse or follow your sister or we're going to put together this toy. But he would make it to where it was so much fun that I, it was almost like 
I mean, I want to compare it to like Christmas morning where I was eager to wake up the next morning to help him do some of these activities. Fly a kite. I remember one of them. It was just all these little things that he made me so excited for as a kid. I just remember him doing all these activities with us. He just had us so involved to where it was like the greatest thing. I didn't want to be anywhere else in the world than there with him uh, doing those activities. So it was it was a great feeling as a child. And he, he was a great father. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he did. He, he spent a lot of time being involved with what we enjoyed and he would show us things to enjoy. What would you say your favorite food is he made? I definitely am going to say the French toast in the morning. It was like a ritual. He'd make, I think it was every weekend when there was no school, he'd make me and uh, my nieces who are close in age to me would sleep over and he'd make us French toast in the morning or if it was a friend from school and he just loved doing it. You could tell he just loved doing it. And he had this thing where he would make, I don't know why it was like just a trait of him, but it was, he would make the French toast. He'd do the dishes, put it away and then he'd say, you want another one? And then, and then if somebody said yes, he'd take it all out again. And then he'd, instead of just <laughs> instead of just waiting, he, he would have to do it all over again. But he didn't mind. He didn't get mad. He didn't say, oh, you know, or anything. He was just joyous and he did it. And you could tell. He was, I just have this vision of him. Like, he loved to wear plaid shirts and jeans. And I just have that vision of him in his plaid shirt and jeans at the, you know, the... Uh, the stovetop right. making, making the french toast so yeah that's definitely my favorite food he made i mean he made a lot but that's just holds memories with it as well so right one of my favorites would have to be um that portuguese dish she used to make um masala and fries oh yeah <laughs> and it was masala is blood pudding for those who don't know and what he did he fried it in a pan with some french fries and let me tell you it was the greatest thing in the world i was a kid and when i got older a lot of my brothers and sisters would be like oh when they found out what it was they loved it at the time but when they found out what it was they didn't want anything to do with it me as an adult i still to this day would make it and i actually made it for my children as they got older now none of my kids like it cuz they found out what it was but back then they enjoyed it just as much as i did as a kid and uh yeah it's funny that you say he used to put all the the dishes away and stuff because he would do the same thing with um me when I was a child too with um he'd make some eggs or something Charisse and eggs was his big thing he would make that it was just it was delicious and I enjoyed watching him make it he would actually make it fun to watch him cook and that's a skill that I don't even think I can do um today but he was just so good at entertaining me when I was a child and I enjoyed every moment when he would make those meals I, I think that's why I enjoyed him so much not so much that he was the greatest cook in the world but because you know, he would make it fun to cook and make it fun to prepare. And, and I don't know, um, he was just a great all-around person and a great all-around father, you know, to spend one-on-one -on -one time with when I was a child. You're right. He did make it fun to watch him cook. And that's hard to do. <laughs> it's true. that I think that's feel like a lot of my memories because, I, you know, I was only 10 when he passed. So half the time, I don't even remember. I was too young. But the second half is like a lot of the memories that I do remember involve him cooking, him in that kitchen cooking and getting all excited about it and would he say funny things or would he sing sometimes oh yeah yeah he would sing he'd say funny things he'd make jokes he, i mean he'd do all kinds of stuff it, it was just the funniest thing in the world to watch him cook was just entertaining it kind of reminds me of watching like you see emerald cook on like the food channel yeah you know emerald goes bam it was kind of like that but he was a lot funnier yeah a lot funnier i mean well maybe because i was a child it was more funny but he he was just really entertaining to watch, just to cook and prepare the food and everything. It was just it it was a good it was an all around good time. It was. 
Yeah, and he was like that. He he was like that with everything pretty much that I can remember that we did with him. No matter the smallest tasks, where he would just make it fun, you know? That's what I try to do nowadays. That's what I tried to do with my kids when they were younger, you know? Is just make it fun. You always have a better time when you're laughing, you know? And you're having a good time. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to bring this up. We kind of already brought it up, but my favorite was The Beast. I think it's because the one I remember the most. But do you have a favorite character he acted like or he would make himself a do or something he would say? I th- I think it would be The Beast, too, because he used to do that <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah. And he had the thing with the, he used to have the thing with the claw, too, where he'd take his hand and say, the claw is coming to get you, and he'd tickle <laughs> you with his hand. And I remember, I just remember when he did The Beast, his eyes, he'd make his eyes real big. Yes, and he would he would he would breathe real heavy and snarl and everything else <laughs> on on his hands and knees like you said, and he would chase after you, and you would you would really think, oh man, this is a monster coming after me, <laughs> and he would just completely his demeanor would completely change into a beast. It really was a beast. You're and, right. The, yeah, the, that's what made it creepy. Yeah. Was he totally changed? Yeah, it was like you really right. thought for a second. Oh my God, is he possessed into this beast? Right, and 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 you would run and be scared. But the second he got to you, you realize he's really just a tickle monster because he would just tickle you in a crazy, like yeah. crazy. Yeah. You know, he would never hurt you or anything. But, oh, it was such good times. I used to want him to do it over and over just like you were saying. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, because he, you know? he wouldn't give up either. It's not like he would just run until you ran in your room. No, he'd follow in your, in your room until he got to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. He did, it, he did it for hours and hours. And then out of nowhere, he would do it sometimes. Yeah. That so he beast. would just be sitting there watching TV. You'd be sitting there watching TV with him. And then the next thing you know, you got the beast chasing you. And you're like, oh, my God, running away. Yeah, it was, it was just really good times. Do you know where he got I, that my, from? My friends used to come over. I I don't. I think it might have been a movie or something, but I'm not sure. But I know my friends would come over, just like you were saying, your friends. And my friends would say, hey, can you have your father do the beast? They would actually ask me, ask him to do it. <laughs> yeah, because he would do it to them, too, just like he'd do it to us. Yeah. He was really good with kids, really. He was really, really good with kids, especially his own children. Yeah, he was. He, he was He was excellent with kids, yeah. Yeah, I've been going through, because I plan on doing this, like, horror movie marathon, and I was going through horror movies, like, throughout the 60s, 70s, and there are a lot of them that have Beast in them. So maybe he did get it from, like, a horror movie, or, like, the title it was, like, Beast. There's even one, I think, called The Beast, so maybe that's where he got it from. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they it might be because he, he loved all those old time horror movies and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And what's funny is when I, we were kids, I remember, no matter what the movie was, it could have been the stupidest thing in the world. But if we liked it, he sat there and watched it with us, and he enjoyed it. Yes. He would quote lines from it and everything. It don't matter what it was. He just really enjoyed movies. One of my favorite movies, and this is because of you, Tom. You introduced me to this. Was Weird Science. And dad would watch that too. And what was his favorite part in that movie? Wasn't it with the parents? Yeah, I think it was with the parents when they were frozen in the closet, I believe. <laughs> oh, was that the No, that's the grandparents, right? Frozen in the, in oh, the yeah, closet. Oh, yeah, the grand. No, I think it was when she like possessed the parents and then she's like, oh, right. Brings right, out the gun yeah. or whatever. Or they didn't know, they didn't remember who he was, their son, because she like. Right, <laughs> right. 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 I remember it was Gary's parents and then they lost their memory in the movie or whatever. She made them lose their memory. And then when Gary walked out, I remember the father would say something like, she'd say something like, where's Gary going or something like that? And he'd say, who the hell is this Gary character? Like the father in the movie didn't even remember who he was. Dad used to love that. Yeah. Yeah. That was just, yeah, it was so funny. But he, he would, he would recite the lines from the movies and oh my God. And he would do one with the same tone of voice. 
and it was the funniest stuff. He used to like Biff from Back to the Future too. <laughs> yeah. You know the way Biff was. Biff's kind of a doofus, and he he would laugh at that too. George McFly's punch when he punched Biff out. He thought that was the funniest. He did. He loved that when he punched Biff out. Yeah. Yeah. He's all nervous with that shot. Dad would put his hands up and be like, yeah, when he hit him. He was so proud of it. <laughs> I know. He wouldn't just like, he'd get into it. Like, he was, that was oh, the yeah. cool thing about him, too, is he wouldn't just watch a movie and make a comment, whatever. No, he, it was like it was in front of him happening in real life. He was like, <laughs> right. right. He loved it. It's funny because when we used to play video games, too. I remember I would buy new video games, like thinking, oh, he's going to want to play this video game and this one and this one. Nope. He'd always want to go to the same two. Super Mario Brothers and Punch-Out. Those were the two we wanted. Didn't he also like and that was it. Uh, Duck Hunt? Yeah, he played some Duck Hunt, too. <laughs> Just the originals, that's all. But I would say, Dad, I got all these new games. He'd say, ah, I don't want those. I want this one. Put Punch-Out on. He goes, I'm going to be champion. I'm coming back to become champion in 10 minutes, he'd tell me. He'd go to the bathroom or whatever. <laughs> And I, I, I mean, I used to love it because I was a kid, you know, you're supposed to be in bed by like nine o'clock, eight thirty, nine o'clock. And he'd be in that room till like 1030 sometimes until he got yelled at, you know, by Ma, she'd yell at him. Yeah. You know, he's trying to sleep. But I loved it because I would sit up and watch him and give him tips and pointers on how to beat the guys. And he was, re- he got real good at it. He used to make it all the way to Mike Tyson. Yeah, he got into it. Yeah, he definitely did. I remember another story where when I got my Super Nintendo, I, we bought a golf game. And I remember we used to play the golf game and it was really hard, like to hit the shots in the holes and get like golf keep the way they keep score. You have to be like under par to be good. And I remember I went to school one day and I came home and he was all excited. Like his face was all smile. He was all smiles and all excited. And I'm saying, what's he all excited for? And I went to my bedroom. I looked around. He's like, go in your bedroom. I looked around. TV was off. Nothing was going. And he came in, he turned the TV on. And as the TV, the old TVs, they would like come on and it would take a while for the picture to show up. So we turned the TV and he's out. He's all pointing, laughing, smiling. And then when the picture came on, it stopped. I looked and it was his guy in golf smiling, holding this big check for like $10,000. Because <laughs> he, he placed in the game, he made some money in the game. Oh, he was so proud of it, though. He must have been working at it all day <laughs> while I was in school. <laughs> it's, just, it's just funny memories like that, you know, is what I think about. It just makes me laugh. Yeah. Like you said, he would he would let us stay up late, like behind our mom's back when she was starting in bed. He'd he'd come in our room, say, "Hey, want to watch TV? Hey, want to go do? I'll cook you some hamburgers or whatever." <laughs> um, right, definitely, yeah. Yeah, those were some of my favorite moments too. Just him getting me out of bed, and then we'd go and we watch TV. The '94 Olympics sticks out in my mind too, is because. And I think this is a reason I like figure skating too, is we were watching the figure skating championships and I was really young. I was like eight or something like that. And I was pretending I was one of the skaters doing flips in the living room and he would cheer me on pretending he was like a commentator. <laughs> and like, and uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That just sticks out in my mind. And it was almost like you felt like he wasn't just your dad. He was like your friend who would keep a secret right. if you wanted to stay up later. You know, he would be that person who would cover for you. Oh, definitely. I, I have um, an example is when, like, Christmas was coming around. I wanted a Nintendo for Christmas. And I would tell him and Ma, you know, oh, I want this Nintendo bad. And he would actually give me pointers on how I could get what I wanted for Christmas. Like, there was, um, I wanted a Nintendo one year. And he actually went in a magazine and cut a Nintendo out of the magazine and helped me set it up to where I could stick it in my mom's newspaper, our mom's newspaper. <laughs> So when she opened it, it would be there and say, please get me this for Christmas with a picture of the Nintendo. So little things like that, like he was like on our side almost working with us to help us out to get the things we wanted. 
He was just, it was, he was such a cool person. That's so funny. All right. So next question is what was your favorite moment with him? And for me, hands down, I think this was a favorite moment because it was one between just us and like he did a lot of the same stuff with all his kids, but I feel like this was just between us and it was the movie Free Willy and that came out, I believe, in 93 or something like that, a couple years before he passed. And I forgot how we got into it, but we saw it together somehow. I think it was on TV, maybe, or in a video. We rented a video or something. And um, he loved that movie. Like, he loved a lot of different movies, but I think I just rented it, and he watched it with me, and it just became, like, our movie, I think, because nobody else watched it with us. It was just us. And he loved it. I think he just loved the whole concept of the whale, Willie, and just the boy loving the whale and taking care of the whale. And he just just loved it. And he would say, "Oh, look at Willie go! Look at Willie go!" And when at the end, when he, they set him free, and then he would be sad. Oh, Willie, I miss Willie. When and then the boy Jesse, he would say, "Oh, Jesse, get him! Jesse, he loves you!" And like just like, <laughs> say all this stuff and. So we would watch that and it's it's ironic because like I think a week before he passed, Free Willy 2 was going to come out. Like a week after he passed, it came out. But he saw the trailers like a week before and we were planning on going to see it in the movie theater and he was so excited. And um, I just, I remember just feeling sad. I never went and saw it myself because I felt like I didn't want to see it without him. Then eventually I think I did see it and I just remember it being not, as good in my opinion as the first one so I was like well at least he's not missing a good movie um but he loved that movie and then the theme song to that movie is a song called Will You Be There by Michael Jackson Michael Jackson yep. I believe wrote that for that movie and he loved that song too and at the end of the video that song would come on and and I think there was like a special video of Michael Jackson performing it and I just remember I think he was in like a white shirt and, you know, like his white shirt and black pants and that Michael Jackson would wear with the flowing white shirt. <laughs> and um, he like would put his arms out when he was singing. It just like the ooh part in the song. And like he was just like putting his head back, closing his eyes, singing. And then my dad would do the same thing and he'd imitate him. <laughs> and he would loved it. He loved it. And again, I just sit. I and, remember that. Yeah, he would do it all the time. And. He would always want to watch the movie. And then at that party, he would always do that. And I just, again, I remember him in his plaid shirt and jeans doing that. <laughs> and uh, and he loved it. He's like, oh, that Michael. And he, he wouldn't just like say, oh, I like that song. Like he, he would be like, oh, that Michael, he's so good. Oh, he's such a good singer. <laughs> and like, <it's> like <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. That's why you're laughing. Oh, yeah. definitely, yeah. No, but it was like, yeah, he'd be like, oh, such a good singer. <laughs> like, he, um, he just loved that song and he loved that movie. And so to this day, I, I bought the movie on DVD a few years ago and I've only watched it a handful of times because to this day, it makes me emotional when I watch it because I just, I remember him and I don't like to watch it all the time because I like to remember, you know, watch it in the times that I want to remember him. And sometimes right. I'll watch it like, you know, on his birthday or something and, and yeah, it's just one of those moments that I feel like was special because it was kind of like our bond, something I'll always remember. And that's definitely one of my favorites or my favorite moment with him. What about you? Right. It's hard to pick one, but um, 
if I had to think of like something that you really wouldn't think would be one would be, I remember when Ma used to go shopping, whether it be like to a, like a Walmart, which at the time was like Bradley's or Zayas, he wouldn't go in and he would stay in the car and I would be in the car with him. And I remember he would put the radio on one time and there was, um, he found an AM radio station where a guy's telling the stories on the AM radio. And the story was like the dumbest story. I can't even really remember it. But I remember him like being like so into it and making me so into it. He would like repeat what the guy was saying on the radio, something so minuscule as that, and have me so into the story. Or he would tell stories sometimes in the car to me when I was sitting there. And the stories he would tell would just be like, I would be so into them. And I had such a good time just sitting in that car. And sometimes it was for a half hour. Sometimes it was for an hour. But I would have like the greatest time sitting in there, just listening to him tell stories and entertaining me. And there was just, there's more than one that I can remember. There's, there's going to watch WrestleMania with him over his friend's house. He would be so into the wrestling with me, you know. Like, I always wanted Hulk Hogan to lose, and he was always, like, right there laughing every time Hulk Hogan came back, and he hulked up and started shaking. Oh, he would laugh, 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 because he knew the Hulk Hogan was going to end up winning, and Hulk Hogan would win. And it's just things like that I just remember, and I, it's like the greatest feeling in the world just to remember those times with him, because it was nothing else like it in this world, you know? He made me feel so good, and I was such a part of, of what he was doing, and, and just being there with him, it was just, it was a great father-son, you know, bonding experience. And those are the times that I'll always remember. Yeah. He liked to tease when people didn't want things to happen. He would just teasingly be like, oh, I hope it does happen. But he didn't mean harm. It was just to tease you. Oh, like, no, no, no. Yeah, it was, it was all good fun, yeah. Like, I remember when um the Ultimate Warrior beat Hulk Hogan. He wanted Hulk Hogan. Well, I don't know if he really wanted Hulk Hogan, but he was, like, goofing around. And Hulk Hogan hulked up. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no. I remember I was a kid. I was like, no. And he was laughing, laughing. But then the Warrior... Ended up beating Hulk Hogan, and, and oh, I remember his face. He was so shocked, and he was laughing, and oh, we had the greatest time. And I, I mean, I look back every time that somebody mentions Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior. First person I think of is Dad. What a great time we had just watching that. It's such great memories, and I'll always cherish them. Did he have a favorite wrestler? Um, I really, no, I really don't think so. He he liked the bad guys more. <laughs> He was more of the bad guys, you know. He liked when the bad guys come out. And I think deep in his heart, because he knew the bad guy most of the time lost. So that's why he rooted for him. Just like in boxing, he would always root for the underdog, you know. You'd have this big, muscular guy come out. And then this little skinny runt would come out. And he would go for the skinny runt, you know. Yeah. And then when he lost, he was like, oh, that bum. He's a bum. <laughs> it was just so much fun, yeah. Such a good time watching any, anything. It doesn't, like you said, movies. It don't matter what it was. We could watch anything. And he would even golf. I'd sit there and watch golf with him sometimes, and he would actually make that exciting. Explain to me what's going on, you know. This guy's going for a shot, and he would always say, like, oh, only this many people made this shot in the history. And, yeah. Oh, it was just good times, you know, real good times. And he liked those races. What was it, dog racing, horse racing? Oh, yeah, like? the greyhounds. Greyhounds. The greyhounds, yeah. Yeah, he'd wake us up and tell us, come on, you got to pick a number. We'd all pick a number. Yeah, we'd pick the number yep. and watch it. And we'd watch the greyhounds and have a great time, yeah. Yep. And he had no money on it. It's not like he had any money on it or anything. It was just all in fun. Right. Yeah, he really, like, found joy and and things like that with his kids and just, you know, anything he could. And I think he liked to have, like, special things with each kid, you know, special bonds, moments, or... Yeah. Yeah, we all definitely had special bonds with him. Yeah. 
because I remember going to the store. When we go to the store, he would always buy me like a certain cookie, and that was the cookie I always knew he would buy me, and things like that. It was, um, I think he did that with all his kids. Like there was like a special thing he would he would get them or do with them, or and I think that was his way right. of bonding with each individual kid as an individual, and not. And then there was stuff he would do with all of us too. So, right. Like even like flying a kite, I remember. I'm telling you right now, you can buy a kite in a store, like a convenience store, and it would be the the cheapest kite out there. But he would get a ton of string, and he had that thing out there to where it was you could barely see it. That's how far out. This was from our backyard, and you could barely see the thing. And I remember neighbors would be coming over and saying, "Geez, Eddie, you got that kite way up there." And he would be so proud, and he would get it back. He'd it'd take him an hour, hour and a half, and he'd bring that kite back in. And that was just, it's just things like that. It was just great times we had them. Yeah. All right. So before we end, I have one more question for you. But before we end, I'm just, I'm going to do the same thing I did on the Mother's Day episode. And I'm going to read a letter I wrote to dad. Um, I wrote this during a 30-day love letter challenge that I did for myself. Basically, I made up this challenge where I, I would write 30 letters to people that meant something to me for 30 days straight wouldn't think too much about it, just would write from the heart. And that's hard for me because I'm a writer and I'm a perfectionist. So it takes me forever to get something done because I always wanted to be perfect. But I just wanted to do it for two reasons to kind of just help my writing more spontaneous writing. And to also just let people know I was grateful for them. And some of the people I included already passed on, but it was just a way for me to get it out and, and let them know I cared. And yeah, so he was definitely one of those people that I wrote to. Um, I read the one for my mom on the Mother's Day episode, so I'm going to read the one I wrote for him on this episode. And then we have, we're going to wrap it up with one more question, and we'll be good to go. Here we go. Okay, just a note, I was 35 when I wrote this, so I talk about being 35. I'm not 35 anymore, but this was a couple years ago, so. Okay. Dear Dad, I don't think I could ever have imagined being 35 living in Los Angeles and writing a letter to you almost 25 years after you left the earth. But such is life, right? You knew things could change at any given moment because you had been through a lot in your life in a short amount of time, like losing both of your brothers at young ages, your longtime job, and your dad. But it was easy to forget that because of your laid-back attitude and fun-loving ways. There are certain memories that stand out in my mind with you, the ones I never forgot. Here are the things I remember, the times I'm grateful to have spent with you. You were 44 years old when I was born. I ended up being the youngest of six that you raised, but I was technically the youngest of seven since one of my older sisters sadly died at birth. I found out I wasn't exactly planned, but you were ecstatic when mom told you she was expecting me. She said you were so excited and became even more thrilled when I ended up being a little girl because you knew the bond between a father and a daughter was truly special. BJ, your youngest daughter before me, was 11 at that point and growing fast. And my arrival meant you were going to get to raise another daddy's little girl all over again. It's hard to recall the very first memory I have of you, but I do remember a lot. You were born in Massachusetts to Portuguese parents, and you weren't a very tall man. Mom says you were 5'8", which is shorter than the average male in the U.S., but to me, you were very tall. You used to love wearing button-down shirts, plaid mostly, but solid colored ones too, and jeans. I don't think I ever saw you in a t-shirt, not once. 
By the time I was born, your dark brown hair had already gone to a mostly salt and pepper color because of the genes in your family, but it was very thick and there was no way you were ever going to go bald, so you had that on your side. Since you were from the era of the mustache, you had one of those most of the time as well, and it suited you. You shaved it once or twice, and I remember it just looking strange, so good on you for keeping it when you did. You worked as a sewing machine mechanic. You loved to eat mom's cooking, but you would also make your own late night meals of hamburgers and french fries, and it was your favorite. You'd sometimes make me some while you were about to enjoy it, and I can still picture you standing at the stovetop, preparing the greasy but delicious goodies. You'd happily put some on a plate for me, and on a plate for you. And sometimes when mom was already asleep, we'd eat together in the living room and watch TV. I think these were some of your favorite moments, because you seemed so happy to just be relaxing and spending time at home with people you loved. You didn't need anything else. You were very humble and easily pleased, and these times were perfect examples of that. You also loved to make breakfast on weekends. French toast was your specialty, and you'd make some for me and sometimes some of my friends or some of your grandchildren who would spend the night. It was always yummy, of course, but I think I got more joy from seeing you in your element than from eating it. You really loved cooking for others, and I'm very grateful for all the meals you made for me. One of the things that I remember clearly from back in those days is waking up in the mornings to some very distinct sounds. After a long sleep, I'd open my eyes and immediately hear noises of clanging mugs and plates and then the voices of you and mom talking. It was your morning coffee time ritual, and it was my waking up ritual. You'd both sit in the kitchen, drinking your coffee and talking about random things, and you'd enjoy some milk crackers, your favorite. Whenever I heard that clanging in your voices as I still laid in my bed, I knew I was home. I was safe, and my two parents were in the room next to me. You loved gathering the family together for barbecues in the backyard. You'd cook on the grill and laugh and joke with everyone. You loved to golf and would play often in the backyard. You also had a garden in the yard, and you'd grow vegetables in it. And you'd get so excited when they would start sprouting. You'd take me back there and proudly show it off, getting me excited too. You would also get super excited when you'd see rabbits in the yard. One in particular kept coming back, and we named him Ian. You loved animals, not just rabbits, and I could still remember you taking care of our family dogs, a German shepherd named Sheepy, and later on a puppy named Trapper. You also loved a little white catfish that I got, and we named him Mickey, and you'd always step inside my room to visit him. In the summertime, we would go to the beach and pick periwinkles off the rocks so we could later cook them, and it became a yearly ritual for us. It was so much fun to find as many as I could, and I can still picture myself holding a big bucket. I can still smell the scent from the water and sand, and I can still feel the rocks beneath my feet. You had nicknames for all your kids. You'd call me Airy and tease me by saying it until I couldn't stop giggling. You'd join Tommy and me for video games and watch movies with us. Weird Science was one, and you had your favorite parts, including when the parents couldn't remember their son Gary because of the spell Lisa put on them. You would laugh so much at that. You loved watching The Sound of Music with all of us and the dog racing on TV. You'd make a game out of the racing and we'd each bet on which ones would win. I can still picture the small, barely working TV that we'd watch the races on, and it was a huge event for you. You also introduced me to Bazooka Bubblegum and the little comics inside. We'd try and collect as many as we could. You also made up a character called <laughs> The Beast, which was a wild tickle monster of sorts, 
and you'd get down on your knees and swing your arms while making these outrageous sounds and run toward us. We'd all scream, laugh, and run away as our adrenaline peaked, and you'd eventually catch up to us. We'd have a thrilling giggle fest as you tickle us to no end. We also had our own special rituals, just you and me. You'd always buy me these chocolate cookies with chocolate chips in them whenever we'd go to the store, and you'd take photos of me with my paper dolls and silly outfits. We watched the 1994 Winter Olympics live on TV a few nights, and I'd prance around the living room pretending to be one of the figure skaters and jump, and you'd cheer me on and pretend to be a commentator. You were very silly. You'd tell me bedtime stories while tucking me in at night. One of the last ones you told me was about Willie the Baker, a baker who would bake lots and lots of cakes for people. Your enthusiasm over telling this simple yet awesome story was truly memorable, and you didn't just rush the story to get me to sleep. You really told that story and got so into it. I'm pretty sure you chose the name Willie for the baker because of the movie we watched and grew to love together, Free Willie. I'll never forget this movie and the connection it gave us. This was our thing, and I thank God every day that I have the precious memories relating to this film. You loved the film itself and would always talk about Jesse and Willie and your favorite scenes over and over again, but you also loved the music from the soundtrack, especially Michael Jackson's song, Will You Be There? We'd watch the music video that was included at the end of the movie with Michael singing the tune in a flowing white shirt and black pants. He had air blowing his clothes and hair all around, and he'd put his arms out and swing his head back while singing the passionate lyrics. You absolutely loved it and would mimic his moves over and over again. Oh, I just love that song, that Michael singing that so good. I just love it, you'd exclaim, <laughs> and I'd laugh and keep watching you mimic the moves. You even opened your shirt once to make it flow like his. <laughs> you were so happy in this moment, and I was too. We later watched the trailer for Free Willy 2, the sequel to the first film. You told me we had to go see it in the theater together. You were so excited to see it. It was coming out on July 19th, 1995. You died on June 16th, 1995. Here are the things I remember, the times I wish I could have spent with you. You were 54 years old when you passed away. I was 10. I didn't cry until the morning after it happened. I woke up and it was quiet. I didn't hear the clanging or the talking, just silence, and it hit me that you were really gone. I wrote in my journal about the tragedy, but other than that, I tried to pretend it wasn't happening. I was in shock and denial for many years. Since you've been gone, I grew older, graduated from high school, and eventually learned to cook on my own. I try out different recipes sometimes and like to bake a lot. I also try to make French toast once in a while. Not often, but of course, it's never as good as yours was. I wish you could taste it yourself and let me know, though. I still like to eat and watch TV at night, but this time it's in my own living room. I went to college in Boston. I wish you could have seen my dorm rooms and the fun stuff around the city. I think you would have liked it a lot. After graduating, I decided to make a huge change and move to Arizona. It was so hot there, you have no idea, but I had some great times, met some good people, and learned a lot about myself. I also got a guinea pig named Bailey, and I know you would have loved him. He was all white, just like Mickey. I eventually moved to San Francisco and then Los Angeles, where I am now, where they make all the movies. You wouldn't believe it. It would have been awesome if you could have visited me here. You would be in such awe. After my piggy Bailey passed, I got another one named Brett. You would have loved him, too. Just like you did with me, I found myself giving these piggies, my animal babies, nicknames. I get it now. Sometimes I still see those cookies in the store, and sometimes I buy them. 
One time when I was having a very rough time in my life and wishing for comfort, I was walking outside and happened to look down at the ground, and there was an empty wrapper from that same cookie. I like to think that that was your way of letting me know you were with me. I still love figure skating and even got to meet some of those Olympic skaters we watched. I actually met a guy named Willie, and he became a chef and would bake things. He was literally Willie the Baker, and it was the coolest thing. Another unbelievable but very real experience I had was coming across the actor who played Jesse in Free Willie. We met through one of his verified accounts online, and we just started chatting since he lived in Los Angeles, too. And we got to know each other through text. It was the most random thing. The whole time I was thinking, this can't be real. You would have flipped. It only lasted for a few weeks, but what's even weirder is it happened a day after my birthday, after I decided to watch Free Willy to celebrate and remember you, something I hadn't done in years. Again, it was almost as if it was your way of letting me know you were with me. By the way, I did see Free Willy too, and luckily it wasn't nearly as great as the first one. I wish you could have been there when I overcame selective mutism. I wish you could have been there when I brought boys home for approval. I wish you could have been there when I was accepted into a fellowship program to try and help re-elect the President of the United States. I wish you could have been there when I appeared on game shows and TV shows. I wish you could have been there when I hosted a selective mutism fundraiser on one of the most famous comedy clubs in the world. And I wish you could have been there when I started my career as a staff writer for a popular entertainment news publication. Just so you know, I got to interview the actress who played Lisa in Weird Science. And her favorite scene of the movie was the one with the parents, too. You're not here in body anymore, but there isn't a doubt in my mind that you're here in spirit. You're also here through me and all your sons and daughters, through the impact you made. I want you to know that I've already started getting some white hair, and I know you're to blame. Thank you for that. <laughs> I've learned a lot of lessons along the way, and I'm really trying to become a better person and do a better job in embracing myself for everything I am and know my worth. I've realized I am oddly drawn to guys with thick hair who wear plaid shirts. I'm pretty sure that's because of you too, and I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just a simple reminder that the one man who loved me with all his heart is something that appeals to me, so it can be beneficial in finding someone who maybe will love me with all his heart too. I make my own coffee in the mornings, and maybe someday that ritual will bring comfort to someone else too. Life's not always easy, and I'm trying to take it one day at a time. I'm trying to take advantage of every opportunity while at the same time knowing that it could all be gone tomorrow. You taught me how amazing life can be, but you taught me how fragile it can be too. Every time I lose a family member, pet, or friend, the first thing that comes into my head is that I hope they get to see you and be around you, because I know if they do, it's all good. As I've heard time and time again, it's not the time we are born or the time we die that really matters, it's the time in between. And when I look back on what I remember most about you, it turns out to be the simple things, the everyday things. Those are the ones that stick to the heart. Those are the ones that I miss most. I don't think anyone can really understand that until they lose someone they love. It's those uneventful times that matter more than anything else. Thank you so much for being the best dad in the world, for being a simple man who just cared and loved with everything he had. You may not have been world famous, but you were famous to me and there will never be a day when I forget you. I'm not sure why you had to go when you did, but I know it's helped shape who I am, and I have enough faith to believe there's something more out there, something beautiful, that you are a part of now. Please continue to watch over me and all our family, and please be there to guide me in the right direction when I need a little help. 
Thank you for sometimes visiting my dreams in times I need to see your face and hear your reassurance. At the end of Free Willy, Jesse chose to say goodbye to Willy the whale, his best friend, so he could be free in the ocean, where he could swim in the open waters like he was supposed to, instead of being held captive. To me, you're like Willy and I'm like Jesse. I had to say goodbye to you so you could be free in spirit, in the heavens, in the universe, where your soul could thrive. And even though I miss you every single day, I know you're somewhere better out there, free from the world's confinement, free from pain, free from sickness, free from a restrained body. You're just free. At the very end of Will You Be There, in the spoken part of the song, Michael says, I'll never let you part, for you're always in my heart. And I can't think of a more fitting way to end a song that we both loved, or a more fitting way to describe exactly how I feel about you. It was all meant to be, Dad. I just know it. I miss you and love you so much. Don't forget me, okay? I won't forget you. Love always, Aaron. Wow, that was beautiful. Really, really, really beautiful. Thank you. All right, Tom. That was obviously what I wanted to say to Dad. You obviously don't have to go into that, but I do have a question for you before we end. That is, if you could say one more sentence to Dad one more time, what would it be? Thank you for all the memories, giving me a great childhood, and also teaching me to become the best father that I can be. Even if I'm just a small part of what you were as a dad, I know that my kids have a step up in this world, and I gave them a great childhood. So thank you again for everything you've done for me, for everything you've done for my kids through me. And there's not a day goes by that I don't miss you and wish you were here. But I know deep in my heart that one day we will meet again. And I'll get to give you that big hug, goodbye that I always wanted to give to you when you were here on this earth. So dad, once again, thank you so much for everything you did for me, for teaching me in my childhood and also throughout my life, the life lessons that I needed to become the man that I am. And I hope deep in my heart that I made you proud somehow. And I am, like I said, if I could be just half of the man or a small fraction of the man that you were, then I know I did well in life. And I gave my children everything I could. Thank you again, Dad. I love you. I miss you. Have a happy Father's Day. Give a kiss to everyone who has passed on in our family that we love and miss. And I will see you again one day. And until then, goodbye, Dad. Yeah, happy Father's Day, Dad. And happy Father's Day to you, Tom. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Green, to do this with me. I know it can be a little emotional at times, but I think it's a, a great way to honor you as a dad and honor our dad at the same time. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. Yeah, of course. And before we go, as I always do, I'm going to end the episode with a relative quote. And this one is from Billy Graham. A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I'm sending love to all the fathers out there and all those missing their father today. You're not alone, and I'm thinking of you. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, and thank you for listening. (music) 